Thanks for tuning in to the That's What G Said podcast, Kentucky Oaks Day Preview Show. We'll go over the Kentucky Oaks race, talk about all of the Phillies in that race, and we'll also discuss all of the undercard stakes races for Friday at Churchill Downs. So we'll get into race number five, the Ali Sheba with Ryan Dickey, the Modesty with Dave Handelin. That's race number six on the Friday card. We get into the seventh race, the eight bells with Ren Carruthers. Then Colin Sheehan talks the unbridled Sydney with us, which is race number eight. Mary Rampolini from the DRF helps us out with the La Troyenne. That's race number nine. Sarah L. Bodwi from Naira talks the Edgewood. And we close it out. The main event, the Kentucky Oaks. Emily Gullickson joins us to go horse by horse in the Kentucky Oaks. Thanks so much for tuning in to our Kentucky Oaks Day preview show. I love these shows each and every year. These are some of my favorite. The Oaks Derby Day shows and the Breeders' Cup shows. We're able to cover so much ground, talk to a bunch of different guests, and help promote all of the uh, the great content from these guests. So love this time of the year. If you're a racing fan, lots of opportunities coming up this week. We're going to do our best to help make you some money to help teach you a few things. Maybe uh, you'll learn some angles or some uh, handicapping tidbits that you can take and use yourself down the line. That's uh, that's always what, we're, what our goal is here on That's What G Said. Help you make money, help you learn. We'll get into the Ali Sheba in just a minute, but if you're thinking about playing some other races, remember anytime that there's racing going on at Santa Anita, it's likely that I've uh, got some best bets floating around there somewhere. Don't forget about those free-to-enter contest at Santa Anita every Friday and Saturday. They're called the Pick'em Contest, and what they are combinations of sports questions and horse racing questions. It'll be something like, who's going to win race number five, and you'll have to pick you know, between all the horses in the race, ask you how many wins uh, on the card will one jockey have, or which of these jockeys will have the most wins on the card. Then you'll have to pick the, the line in a particular basketball game or a football game. You know, uh, Rams minus seven and a half or Raiders plus seven and a half. You know, for basketball, sometimes it'll ask who will be the leading scorer in this game and list a group of players. Free to enter every Saturday, every Sunday. Pick'em.sananita.com. That's the website. You know, it opens up this weekend. Louisiana Downs. I started doing some work with Louisiana Downs last year. I was actually part of the simulcast. This year, I'll be sending in a best bet every day. I think a little video to the simulcast, and we'll also be talking about Louisiana here, either providing pick four, pick five analysis, dishing out a couple best bets. I'm going to handicap their card every single day and see whatever we like. If it's a certain sequence, if it's a couple best bets, whatever it is, we'll be talking Louisiana every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday May 6th through September the 12th, Louisiana Downs is back on That's What G Said podcast. Let's get started. Get those past performances out, folks. In the past performances, I would recommend the DRF past performances. Everything you need, the DRF packages. If you just want past performances for the days, if you want betting strategies, clocker reports, everything you need to succeed at drf.com with daily racing form. We're going to go through races 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And then then once we get to the Kentucky Oaks, Emily Gullickson joins and we go horse by horse and we really do a, a deep dive into that Oaks race. First up, 
Let's talk about race number five on Friday. It's the Ali Sheba with Ryan Dickey. Gosh, I was thinking about it. I know, know I'm getting a little bit older in life because when I started doing these Kentucky Derby and Breeders' Cup preview shows about four years ago or so when we started with That's What G Said podcast, I didn't have a kid. I remember t- when I talked to Ryan Dickey a few years back, Ryan's helped us out with, I think, by three or four years in a row of these shows. I was probably expecting a child. I now have a three-and-a-half-year-old son. Ryan, time flies, and we're, we're getting old, man. How are you doing today? Well, some of us are getting older than others. Quitter. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. And uh, I don't know how that works, but it works it, that way. It's going to say, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's like some of us are catching up to others. Others don't seem like we're getting much older. But n- nonetheless, uh, it, it's great to catch up with you. And every time we do, it feels like it's, a, it's always been too long in between. And I, re- I think you've helped me with this exact race before, too, with the yep. Ali Sheba, which it comes up as the first stakes race this weekend. That's what's really cool about um, when I get the chance to have these big preview shows because it's a it's a fun time for me to catch up with all my friends, to pick everyone's brain, to to talk with a bunch of different handicappers. And you're someone who is uh, who is just that. You've worn many hats. You've uh, been a handicapper. You've been someone who's been involved with uh, you know the gambling side on the behind the scenes side, and you've also been someone who's involved in horse racing as an owner and in different ways. So you're definitely someone who's a big fan and uh, and who is a nice ambassador for horse racing. Well, thank you very much for the kind words. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here and happy to share my thoughts, whatever they're worth. Uh, so uh, again, you have uh, helped me out quite a bit. And I have to give big thanks to a lot of the, the folks who helped me out with these recordings, because many times we record early on in the week, like right now, Ryan and I are talking at like nine, uh, like 10 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday morning. So he's probably had about, you know, 12 hours, not even to, uh, to look at these past performances, the morning lines for a lot of these races aren't up, especially the Friday races that we're talking. So definitely uh, a big help. Uh, but we, we know this, this field pretty well, Ryan, as we look at the first stakes race of the Friday, Saturday at Churchill Downs, I think there are 16 of them between those two days on Friday and Saturday. The first of them starts in the fifth race on Friday with the grade two Ali Sheba. It's a mile and a 16th on the dirt. And while it's not the biggest race of the weekend, it's a real quality race. And there are some very familiar names, starting with the horse who won the Kentucky Derby last year, Rich Strike. Yeah, he, he's one of five horses in this race who have won at least one race here at Churchill Downs. So like every, just, just about every horse that's, that's here has a little bit of history, but nobody has quite the history as Rich Strike. Um, obviously, it was the last race he's won, but... Uh, Nonetheless, he's a Kentucky Derby winner, and he's uh, l- looking to, uh, to to repeat here at Churchill Downs. And you know, I gotta say, I did I didn't pick him, but not many people did pick him that day. No. And as many did right after, I was sort of scoffing at it. And he has not been back to the winner circle since, but he probably ran three races in a row better than I would I thought he may ever run again. So I, I will give him plenty of credit for that last year. He he kind of feels like a horse, though, in this spot, making the first start of the year. I don't know if this is the end-all, be-all for him with maybe bigger plans throughout the year, and I feel like he might be the type that gets a little bit overbet just because of his, his reputation. People know the name. They remember him from last year. How, how do you see this race? Because we have a couple horses that just faced each other last time in Art Collector and Wes Willpower. They're both legit. They've also both uh, faced Last Samurai 
who is also in really, really nice form. So between at least the three of those horses, you have horses who are coming off really good recent races. They have big speed figures as well. And um, like they're legitimate, legitimate horses in this spot. Yeah, I think there's a good possibility we're going to see a, a pretty solid repeat of the New Orleans uh, handicap. But let me just tell you how unopportunistic I have been. Last May... I had a filly that was being trained, uh, getting ready for her debut with Eric Reed. So I had oh, wow. a trainer of the Kentucky Derby winner <laughs> training the horse for me and asked me if I even put $2 on Rich Strike. No, I would, I would recommend, I would say no if you were, if yeah. you're telling us that I, story. I, I didn't. I had, a, I had a horse with a Kentucky Derby winning trainer and I didn't even bet $2 on Rich Strike. And same thing here. I'm not going to bet two dollars on it. It just doesn't feel like it's his spot, right? No, it no. feels like this is the starting spot. We know he likes Churchill. He's run well here, but I think this is get shake off some of the rust and and get the 2023 year started. So in a small field like this, especially with the you know the horses that we were talking about, Westwell Power, who was really impressive in the New Orleans. Then you have Art Collector, who was your Pegasus winner, um, and then you have Last Samurai, who. The, the kind of looking at them, I, Last Samurai seems like he does a lot of his best work at Oaklawn. Um, I'm I'm not saying he can't win this race here, but he does seem like he has some of his really really good races over at Oaklawn. Kind of curious what like what shapes up between Westwell Power and Art Collector because Art Collector in in watching a lot of his races and kind of going back, uh, Ryan, you know he sat he sat a little bit off in the Pegasus World Cup but he's not really a horse who I think wants to come from way, way out of it and pass horses. He's sort of like, he gets that nice cruising speed and then he's sort of tough to pass. How do you, how do you see this unfold? Are you going to go back to West will power? He was the big winner over art collector last time out. Do you think Art collector can turn the tables? What would be the way you looked at, at these two? Well, I think one of the most important uh, aspects to, to look at at this point, since we're so far out, there's a good chance it's going to rain and it's going to rain yeah. a lot. It looks like between Friday and Saturday. So is there going to be a lot of that rain uh, prior to this race? It's going to make for a sloppy track. If so, I like last samurai a little bit better, it's but then true. I also, I also have to think smile happy who has proven to run well on the slop should do well, but minus any poor track conditions, you know, rain, uh, anything that would, that would give an off track. I think it's just going to be a lot of the same between art collector and West willpower. Um, I do believe West willpower will be on the lead here. And I think, uh, art collector will sit one or two off and, you know, last samurai will probably be up there somewhere. Who's going to win. I don't know. This is one of those where I think I'm going to wait and see what the uh, odds are as close to post time as possible Yeah, uh, to make a decision. But I mean, I, if you were to put the proverbial gun to the head, I think art collector uh, turns the trick this time. I, I heard uh, a gambler accused professional gambler. He actually did work for the Mavericks. He goes on the Bill Simmons podcast sometimes. And um, he, his name is Haralabob Vulgaris. And, and they've asked him this a few times. And he said, Okay, first of all, you know, I really don't like making gambling decisions when there's a gun to my head. It was just like, it's like really <laughs> right. funny to hear him right. like legitimize the situation. I, I just make me laugh every time I think about it. Like he says it oh, so like matter it. of factly. Okay. You know right. what? Yeah. I like to tell all of my friends if they want me to invest money for them, I'd really rather not do it with a gun pointed at my head, you know? Yeah. So it yeah. just yeah. breaking it down that way is great. 
And uh, yeah, Wes Will Power, what's nice about him too, he's sort of drawn to the outside of Art Collector. So you feel like if for some reason Art Collector wants to go, he will be able to sit that cozy stalking trip to the outside. Um, and he, he's just been in really good form too. It's not even like we're just looking at that last race from West Will Power. That was just that big effort. He is, he's always had some talent, but then since coming into the Brad Cox barn, he has not thrown in a bad race. It's just really tough to knock his overall form. One of his losses came to Proxy, who we saw come back and win the Oaklawn Handicap and beat Last Samurai. And he he can sit a little bit if he has to, but I think he's the horse to catch and beat. And like you were saying, that's what really makes it, it tough to get around some of the, uh, those two in this race because they they seem like they have the most speed too. So they could probably dictate the way the race is run who like instead of dueling with each other, one can kind of go, one can try to sit off and they shouldn't be going that, that fast in here. Um, One horse I want to mention Ryan, just in case anyone's looking for a price, maybe underneath trying to get a little bit creative. If you were going to go against, if I was going to go against some of the major contenders in here, who will be art collector, West will power last samurai, even a horse like bridge strike, I think we'll get some money to me. The, the kind of up and coming horse who is not nearly as proven or accomplished as these, but he has some versatility and I like the way he's trending right now. That's Milliken. Um, Milliken, you know, you look at his form overall. This is a horse who has not done much wrong in his career. He was a debut winner right off the bat in his second start. He was right behind Olympiad who we've seen in some of the biggest graded stakes races over the last couple of years, grade one winner. We saw him run into horses like reinvestment risk and dream shake who were legitimate graded stakes horses. And then he was off for a while. He showed backup and as a four-year-old at the end of his four-year-old season. And now he's like improving in each of his starts. If you're looking at the progression that he has, if he can take one more step forward off of his last couple races, he actually could be maybe competitive with these groups. Does he have to improve? Yes, but he's kind of trending in the right direction. If I was looking for a fun horse or a, a price horse or someone other than the obvious horses in here, it might be Milliken for me. Um, anything else you want to mention on this race, Ryan, on the Ali Sheba? Yeah, I don't like to play uh, internet trainer, but Ian Wilkes, if you're listening, how about throwing some blinkers on this horse? He he is a little quirky, right? He's, yeah. You could see he's... He's kind of, he has some versatility to him. He's intriguing. A little more focus might help with Milliken, who was asked for some run, responded well, was up for that dead heat win a couple starts back, showed a little speed last time out. He beat a horse named Clapton, who came back to win a grade three race and earned a 98 buyer in doing so. So the stakes action kicks off this weekend on Friday with the grade two Ali Sheba. Again, Ryan, I'm putting you on the hot seat now a few days out in advance, but we've seen the Kentucky Derby draw now. Is there uh, any thoughts you have a few days out? Is there a horse or two that you like that you'll be using? Maybe a horse that you won't be using? What are some of your early Kentucky Derby uh, thoughts to throw out there at us? I wasted, oh God, I don't know how many hours yesterday, but I wasted so much time trying to figure out a definitive pace projection of my own, and I just couldn't do it. And the more I looked at it, the more analysis I put into it, the more tools I used, the more I realized I really don't know. I really don't know what the early pace of this derby is going to be. It's going to be a rider's race. 
And so I'm going to have to gravitate towards some jockeys who've been there before. Now, it doesn't mean they have to have a, a Kentucky Derby win, but I'm going to need some, some experience some experience here. Um, I mean, it, it, it brings me to horses that I didn't think that I was going to like. Like Tap It Trice, I didn't think I was going to use Tap It Trice, but I think Tap It Trice is a horse that that I like. Um, he showed a lot. You know, I before his last race, I probably would have been tossing him. I think he showed a lot of like maturity, and he grew grew up a little bit. And I've got to say, this is of the last decade the least strong opinion I've ever had on any Kentucky Derby, as far mm-hmm. as just. I can't, I'm, I'm probably gonna have a group of like four or five horses that'll be in most of my exotics or whatever I, I play. But almost every year, I, I at least have the one horse or two that I feel pretty confident, like, yeah, well, I'll throw 20 bucks on that horse at the very least. Or, you know, the ho- the one horse I tell everybody when they ask who you liked in the Derby, I haven't even quite got there myself yet. I really, um, I, I really don't have the strongest of opinion. I guess if that's the case, when you don't love anyone, is that the year that a, a, a horse from, from Japan wins, right? Where you don't I hope not <laughs> like where you don't feel that strong. I don't, I don't know. Um, he, he's going to take some money. There are a couple different, different options who would be. So you, you mentioned tap it trice. He's mm-hmm. definitely going to be in your exotics. Anyone else that you like or anyone else that you don't like, you said, uh, hope not. So maybe not Derma Sotogake for you. Yeah. I mean, if I get beat by the, uh, UAE Derby winner, I get beat by the UAE. You got to let him do it for the first time. And I think gotta the post, the I think I saw the post was not good either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, he has like a post position working against him. Also that UAE Derby curse working against him, but tap it trice, uh, a horse, just a few days out who will definitely be on the radar for Ryan, but yeah, I, got I, 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 here's the thing is, and we, this was a discussion on Twitter yesterday is um, when does Forte start looking enticing? I know. <laughs> I mean, I pretty good jockey, right? He's all and right. He's won some races. He's just not, he, he's not done anything wrong. And you just, it's so hard to knock a horse like that because he hasn't had to run faster than he's run. And that's what'll be some of the knocks on him is that, Oh, he, he, his speed figures don't overwhelm or they don't tower over this field. Yeah, I get it. But he really hasn't, he hasn't been asked. He hasn't really been tested much in any of his races. He's going to get a nice setup. He's, you know, he's got a great foundation, good conditioners. And I, I agree. Like I just, He's not a favorite I'm knocking. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not one of those horses that I'm completely against or trying to beat. That's why it's such a difficult derby year for me because I don't really have a knock on him or even P- Tappa Trice, who will probably be your top two choices. Yeah, right. Pletcher horses, what do you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, I guess, of the shorter price horses, it would probably be practical move that I'll, I'll probably play against the SoCal horse just because not that I don't think he's good or anything. He got a couple perfect trips just right up the rail, sitting right behind horses. And in his last start, he got that perfect trip. And then both a uh, couple horses almost came and ran him down who got less than ideal trips. So m- maybe if he's like your third choice, he, he'll he be one of the, the choices that I, I leave out. But a few days out, that's what's great about what I've got go- coming up over the next few days, Ryan. Yep. I've got 16 interviews set up between now and the end of <laughs> Wednesday. If I can't, pick the brain of all these different handicappers and come to a little bit of a conclusion. Well, then I'm terrible at this, right? 
that I'm terrible at this. I got to at least think I, I may not win, but I got to at least be able to come to a little bit of a conclusion myself after handicapping this race over and over and over, talking to all these people, throwing a bunch <laughs> of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And uh, man, I, I love talking races with you. Always talk, love talking sports with you. I hope you have a, uh, a, a great time on your new uh, excursion uh, out there in, uh, in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm out yeah. there in the uh the windy city so yeah. um really great to catch up with you again and as i say every time it uh it's always feels like too long in between drinks ryan man love handicapping the races with you and thank you so much for taking some time out thank you so much for helping us out early on is there anything out there you want to mention anything you want to plug at all before we get out of here no i don't think i want to plug anything uh, i will tell you that if skinner happens to win the um kentucky derby I- i'll probably be very happy Nice. Okay, cool. I will say he will be on some of my tickets. He will be because I, I've been higher on him than I think some of his results. He's always felt to me kind of like the horse that in a bigger field with some more pace, if he can just drop back, kind of make one late run, he could he could have a really nice opportunity. In Santa Anita, some of the smaller races, he hasn't had that trip. When Practical Move has gone inside and got the perfect trip up the rail, Skinner's had to go wide always. And I like the jock switch. I like Hernandez jumping aboard. He's been really good the last few years. I think he might be a little more aggressive than Victor Espinosa at this point of Espinosa's career, where Hernandez might be a little, a little hungrier, a little more aggressive. Honestly, he's just one of the better riders I think that that few people talk about. So glad you mentioned Skinner. He he's gonna want to be the the Sonny Leon of this year. So I yeah. mean, I, I think I think Sonny just Leon got in. winning last year. I think him winning last year is going to affect a lot of the jockeys in this race this year um because they're they're gonna want to be him. They're 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 gonna want to say, you know what, I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. And I, I think that a horse like Skinner, I don't love Skinner. I don't think he's like my top choice or anything like that, but he's a horse that I'm going to have to use. The price is going to be right. And for all the things that you mentioned, I can't leave him off the top of my ticket. Ryan Dickey. You hear him uh, with us each and every year, at least a couple times a year on our big shows. Very, very happy to have Ryan joining us again. Thank you so much, buddy. I can't tell you uh, enough how, how nice it is to catch up with you. And I wish you the best of luck this weekend with all of your plays and uh, let's do it again very, very soon. Good luck to you out there with uh, with the new work excursion. And uh, thanks again, buddy. Have a nice week. Good luck with all your stuff. Thanks, as always, for having me. I appreciate it. Don't go anywhere, folks. The journey is just beginning. We have many more races to discuss with many other excellent handicappers along the way. Ryan was getting things started as our leadoff hitter. And now we continue along. We'll move to race number six. It's the grade three modesty on the Friday card at Churchill. Don't go anywhere. Thank you to Ryan for helping us out with the Ali Sheba. So yeah, we were recording really early and that was right before a lot of the, all the morning lines started to pop out, but we were pretty accurate with how we were seeing the race as far as the, the horses who were going to take money in there. And Milliken would be the the value play for me if you're looking to get a little creative and uh, maybe try to beat some of the shorter prices. Big thanks to Ryan. Let's move along. From race number five to race number six, as we dive back into those DRF past performances, we welcome in Dave Handlin to talk about the modesty. Uh, many of you have heard Dave on this show helping us talk NBA. We talk about the uh, the T-Wolves quite a bit. He's the radio play-by-play statistician 
for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He knows NBA really well, very sharp handicapper, does a lot of good work out at Canterbury. Dave Handelin helping us out with the Grade 3 Modesty, a race that was moved and is now on the Friday Kentucky Oaks undercard. We are coming up on the sixth race on Friday at Churchill Downs. We're moving through the undercard on Kentucky Oaks Day. Now, our next guest is a gentleman that wears many hats because normally you hear him on this show playing the role of radio statistician for the Minnesota Timberwolves. But on this particular conversation, it's going to be more of the man who is uh, selling the tip sheets at Canterbury handicapping the races there each and every day uh, a very sharp handicapper dave handling so a uh, jack of many trades dave how you doing today buddy i am doing good yes thank you dave's faves tip sheets canterbury park there we go so uh f- fun week coming up for uh for us players because um you and i always talk about basketball people have heard you on this show many times they've heard you talking racing on this show uh, also before but you qualified for the nhc earlier this year and you're someone who loves to play the races your local races big races all over so um lots to handicap and i really appreciate you uh, you diving in early with me because we're talking about this race on like tuesday morning and the races haven't even been out for 24 hours so you you got some uh some speed handicapping done to come and help me out and uh so we can get this recorded early so a big thanks dave nope no problem yeah i, I can talk about the modesty and maybe one other race and the rest of them we'll get to at other points this week so, one at a time one yep. at a time we'll, we'll check off the boxes there that's what that's what i was doing too i have all the the what i hope um it'll be interesting to see because i handicapped everything out of order because for okay. my for me i wanted to just go through the order of interviews i had scheduled and the races i had scheduled and it wasn't all in order so i just went okay first race i want to, my first interview let's make sure i get that one down then let's make sure i get this next one done so i've got a few races still uh for the saturday card to get through uh, myself but um we got through most of the Friday, and we're going to talk about the modesty and then pick Dave's brain a little bit on the Derby. So, Dave, we have a grade three mile and an eighth turf race in the modesty. And just sort of getting the overall snapshot of the race, I think Shantisara probably is the horse to beat in here. Shantisara was, you know, only Two, five to two in the Pegasus World Cup, the Philly and Mare turf. She came back out of that race and won a, a grade two over at Tampa last time out. And she's been pretty honest. She was a grade one winner a couple years back. Top notch connections, Chad Brown, Pratt, from just sort of like a talking point and a starting point. She's probably the one they'll have to beat in here. I agree with you. Probably the one to beat. And just for, for a little background for listeners on this, like modesty is one I'm not traditionally thinking of Churchill Downs of going on. This is one of the races that came over from Arlington Park. Yes, it's a great last, point. Last year was the first edition of the Modesty that took place at Churchill. Um, and for a little background on that, because we also have two Chad Browns in this or, in this race. Last year, Chad had two entered, and it was Bleecker Street over Fluffy Socks. So it was a Chad oh, Brown exacta. Nice. So, Look at that. Or, yep, it came, in, came with a little background on that. So Love it. So obviously Love seeing it. those two horses here and they both stand out along with the, you get the Irad jumping from Shanta Sarah over on and McCulloch, mm-hmm. which is he's McCulloch off the little bit of layoff, the six and a half month layoff. <clears throat> so that's, it's interesting that Irad goes there. Granted Pratt's had some success on Shanta Sarah, but being that Irad was just on there two or the last start and got the win at Tampa. 
I would I would say the win at Tampa, it like it looked all right, but it wasn't over. It, know, you're right. It was fine. In and even just like looking at speed figures too, right? It wasn't one of her faster or better races. It, and honestly, it wasn't a very tough spot. It was a pretty yeah, soft group for a G two. Yep, it was for for a grade two, it seemed like it came up fairly weak. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't, as the horse player in me, I'm trying to beat I'm me too. To me too. She people. she's like the measuring stick, but she's not a fun horse to play at like nine to five. Yep, you know, not a fun horse to play there. And like McCulloch, like I don't know. You look back, like off the layoff here, so it's really we don't have much to work with off that. Chad's great off the layoff, like thirty two percent at this at this kind of time frame. But really, like, came back on Derby weekend last year and ran second to New Year's Eve, who's also in this race. So she's burned a lot of money in her career, too, McCulloch. You know, like, she, it, it's funny to say this for a grade one winner, but th- who's never been worse than third. But, like, mm-hmm. overall, she's been a little disappointing in some of her races. Like, there have been spots where she was supposed to win that she didn't even her last race when she was favored, like the heavy favorite in the QE two. And she finished second that day. Um, and it's not as if like her, her speed figures are overwhelming either. Right. She's going to have to face older horses for the first time too off the bench. Mm-hmm. Would, would you or I be shocked if either one of these two horses are in the, the winner's circle? No, but I don't know for their prices. I don't really, they don't, feel to me like some of the standout Chad Brown horses you might normally see in their turf races. I think they're going to be a little bit over bet in here just as like as a, a horse to play. And he's got so much stock in turf races. Like, he's just, he's trying to find spots for them and mm-hmm. all right, we'll put, we'll put two in here. Like if they're here, they're not his best ones, right? Like if, if, he, if he's putting them here, there's a reason that they're here, and it's because he thinks they're a notch below the other ones. That's a great. You know, you're absolutely right. This is a Grade Three spot where there could have been spots this weekend where they caught, they could have been in, in a little bit tougher. In sort of playing the race out in my head, how it it shapes up on paper, th- there's a horse who I'm gonna throw into some exotics. I don't know if she's good enough to win this race, Dave, but I've followed her from her from her whole career. I think she's super honest. And I believe she's going to get the lead in here. And that's the one sweet Danny that's my girl. Pick. Nice. Absolutely. Because you, you, you go first here and then I'll go. But yeah. there's just, you know, watching this Philly back when she was two, she was really good. She won first time out of the box at Churchill. Then she came back and she won a stakes race in her second start. And she was good again in her third start. And then you could see she had a couple issues. She showed up trying to get some like some points for the Kentucky Oaks and get qualified for the Oaks. She ran in the Devona Dale. And then that was off a layoff. She was off for a little bit. Then she ran in the Eight Bells. She ran into a really sharp horse named Matarea. So I think you can look at 2022 as just kind of like put a line through that year. It was unfortunate. And that was such a big year of development. Her whole three-year-old year, we didn't get to see her. But now she's better. She's improved. And in in her two races that she's won on the grass out of her last three, she's been right on the lead. And in the one that she didn't win, she got a bad trip. She was really, really wide. And the horse that won that day went wire to wire. And that's a pretty decent group. Like a couple of those horses have come back and run well or, and are going to be in tough spots this weekend. Sweet Danny girl for us, Dave. Yes. So yeah, the other note I had in there. So yeah, I it really looks like when you look through all these horses, like really the they all have a lack of seeing ones or twos in any of like the first three calls of their running lines. Yep. So I I believe 
this isn't like a complete speed steer of a horse, but I think it's it's got pace and should be the like Castellano should be able to control the pace, similar to what I think did at Tampa and even like the Gulfstream race where hell if Rosario gets to the lead on the horse, it's got some juice. Um, but I, I think yeah, it's. I think since this horse has went to the turf, since it's turned four, I, I think they've kind of figured something else out. You mentioned that the race at Churchill last year, right? Did Pretty Birdie just beat Frank's Rockette at it was either Keeneland or Oakland last weekend? I'm pretty sure Pretty Birdie beat Frank's Rockette down there. But, but tried some tough races as a three-year-old, didn't pan out. So, all right, we're going to come back at four and try the turf. Yeah, two for three on turf. I've got it as the only speed. Really, the two races at one kind of were similar where got out out front, controlled it, kind of got pressed around the final turn where it looked like, all right, well, show's over. And then just cut the turn nicely and accelerated down down the stretch. And one race race ran easy. The other one was a little bit more of a challenge, but still got away at the end. So I I don't know. I, I really think if these Browns aren't fresh enough, or the Browns just aren't as good. Maybe, maybe Castellano can get its distance. Might be a little bit of a question, right? We're going. Yep. To, it's a mile and the eighth. The last win was at a mile and sixteenth. That was the longest race in her career. But really, at the end, it looked like she was moving all right. That I'm not the extra eighth. Yeah, it's 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 there. But maybe we have the lead and we're all good. Turn yeah. there doesn't even matter. Gets no no Lasix this time, but also drops eight pounds compared to what had in that Tampa race. We'll get that cozy inside draw. Just get a little aggressive early and then slow things down, right? Make Mm -hmm. sure, like, just get to the lead. Make sure that you don't have to, like, you get that inside draw. You can save all the ground there and then slow things down because I just don't think anyone in here is going to want to go that fast and and press it. I think they'll let this horse go and and be just completely content trying to track behind her. And uh, she can sneak away in here. Sweet Danny girl. The, The horse right next door to her, Mm-hmm. I was I've been pretty impressed with her. Um, also, Dave Didia, she's just been you know she ran her two her first two races in the country at Colonial. She's a Group One winner from Argentina, and she's a multiple Group One winner. So she comes here off a like a seven month layoff. She wins nicely at Colonial. Then they put her in a stakes race. She wins again, and that race has come back live. And she shows up on March the twenty fifth off a long layoff. And again, she's really, really impressive in a race she probably needs. That was her first start as a five-year-old. Um, you know, she's kind of heading in the right direction. She's not very fast, so that worries me a little bit with the way the race may shape up. I, I like her as a horse, and I I could see her running well and maybe underneath. But if they're not going that fast, she could be, you know, li- maybe a little bit too far behind in here. But I kind of look at her and then compare her to some of the bra- like the other two brown horses, and I think... I like her a, a little more, and I think she'll probably be twice the price of those two. No, I agree. This was what kind of the other horse I had written down. The the one thing about that fairgrounds race and that that fairgrounds turf horse was it had Funk. a choose, I guess yeah. we'll say uh, yeah. the entire meet. That race, the the opening, I would say the opening furlong or two as they were crossing by the finish line for the first time, had terrible, got bumped twice just terribly and kind of looked like, ah, that's probably the excuse for this horse not going to win and still had enough at the end to shift out and got, got to the wire just. Yeah, you're right. It did have that shift out. It was like mid pack was inside. It's just like, uh Oh, not going to be getting the trip that they need right now. And then angled around and, and ran by and 
you know, that was the, it was visually pretty impressive. That was the first start since August. Like there's, there's more to this horse. It's just, will she get the shape in here? But this is what makes for a nice betting race when maybe we're dead wrong and these brown runners are ready to fire or maybe they're just a little bit too good. But I, we both feel like their their chances of winning this race compared to their prices, it's just going to be a little too short. Yep, I I might have some fun with this race. And granted, it's not for everyone, but I'll probably play a three-horse exacta box with, with Sweet Danny Girl, Diddy, and then I'll zero in on my favorite Chad Brown and probably play that one with it. Yeah. But I'm going to be going against the Browns and hoping that Diddy or Sweet Danny Girl, kind of one of them, are able to pop. So either Sweet Danny runs away or Diddy uh, closes in on it. But, yeah, like Diddy, like because of that last race and having the trouble it did, it makes it look like more of a closer than really probably you're, what it is. You're right, though. That is a good point because – the Colonial race, she wasn't that far out of it, the first one. And then the August race at Colonial, they went pretty quick that day. Yep. So, so all right, maybe not. It's you know, It has the appearance of a deep closer, but no, it's just not really a deep closer. I think it just kind of ran into some situations that it's well, going to be a little better scenario this race. Stay out of trouble and probably hang might be two, three lengths back the entire way around, maybe with some clean air. Yeah, especially if the one goes and then you can just sort of save the ground and, and not follow the horse fast, but just kind of follow that horse to get yourself in nice positioning mm-hmm. and then save all the ground like mid-pack or maybe fourth or so, like just not way, way out of it. I agree. So we both like the inside horses, especially sweet Danny girl's chances of trying to steal this race and go wire to wire in here. More than anything, just a little bit cold on the brown runners who may be over bet and just aren't coming into this race feeling like this is their peak peak effort or they're like sitting on a big one. Maybe, maybe the next race for McCulloch Shantisara might've run her better race a couple back and maybe she's kind of tailed off a little bit and she'll round back into form. But uh, a fun race when you, when you can, you know, poke some holes in some of the shorter prices here, this is the sixth race on your Friday card over at Churchill downs. It is the grade three modesty. So, Dave, again, we are uh, talking Tuesday, a few days out from now. Things can change a little. Weather can change. But who are some of the horses that are on your radar for the big one right now for the Kentucky Derby? Uh, who who will you be using in some of your exotics? I'm As of right now, I'm Forte has done nothing to make me think that Forte isn't the goods. And mm-hmm. that's boring as can be. Um, I also think Practical Move is kind of the other one that I'm on, where I – it's a bat. It's a, a Tim Yak team now, but it's a Baffert horse and Baffert was pretty quiet last year and you'll be back next year. And this, this horse, I know there was, there was some chatter at one point that there was maybe some injuries. And now that this thing is finally healthy, this thing might be kind of the, kind of the goods it, that the Santa Anita Derby against Mandarin hero. Like I was, I was interested to see what Mandarin hero was Mandarin hero pushed it and he still got there to the finish line first. So I'm, I'm wondering if this one can, this one is ready to pop again on Derby day. So that's, and, that's kind of the two I'm leaning I, for as part of like a long shot. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not crazy on some of the long shots. What the draw by now. Yeah. The draw is out. The draw didn't really hamper any opinions of mine. It didn't really like help any of them. Um, so I don't know, like I, I'm struggling with Angel of Empire on what exactly that horse is. 
is Cox going to get it? I, I I don't know. I'm so yeah. I'm. We haven't. When's the last time Pletcher has won the Derby? It's been a few years, right? Is yeah. it always dreaming? Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, always dreaming. Is that was mm-hmm. that what it was? Yeah. Maybe Pletcher's kind of fired back here. It's like it seemed like he was. He's always been good, really good, but it seemed like he had a little bit more quiet time. Where now it seems like he's back. His his stock's a little bit better, and granted, he always had good stock. But I don't. I, I don't know. I really feel like Forte, you've seen that horse and everybody's kind of tried to pick holes in it for the last couple of races and it still wins. And I don't, I don't have enough of a, like, I don't have enough of a, um, a really, really strong opinion that I I can knock Forte. That's sort of where I'm sitting right now. Like, I don't love another, enough of these horses to say, oh, well, it can't be Forte. And this is such a wide open year for me. I can't get a, that's why I'm, I'm really happy. I get to talk with everybody over the next like couple of days as I record with you early Tuesday and I have a bunch more interviews and just get to like pick everyone's brain and, and kind of see what everyone feels like. Um, there are a couple prices that I think two fills I'm warming up to a little bit more. Like I'll definitely throw him in the mix. I, I loved his last race on the synthetic, but he, I think he's a little more than a synthetic horse. And I, I think his form is, is held up pretty well. Um, so he, he's he's one that's that's like in the mix for me on my radar, but it won't be a, a race where I'm probably betting one horse to win or anything like that. It'll it'll be more of like I probably have four or five in my pick fours and fives and uh, and, you know, spreading out a, a bit. But like my day- best derby result, my best derby paydays are the ones where I've kind of locked into a horse or two and not went the spread approach in the derby. Yeah. And just kind of said, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to spread in some races leading up to it, leading up, draw my line. And that's my horse. So it's like, all right, if I'm going to go forte, like my best wins are on, I think justify an American Pharaoh. Whereas so, like, all right, this, I'm going to get soloed into them on stuff. And so, so be it, catch something earlier leading up to it and maybe play a couple different tickets, soloing maybe a ho- different horse or two in the races leading up to it. Maybe something a little bit funky and trying to catch two to three prices leading into the Derby. And, and granted there, there's 20 horses in there. So everything's going to take money to some extent. So it's like, all right, if I can, if I can zero in on one to two horses, that's where we're going to go and not do the, the oh, granted last year, the all people, <laughs> they, they, they got theirs, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that's the approach isn't great. Have their day. Yeah. Um, so so uh, that's where I'm kind of leaning on right now. The, I, I will say the, that Mandarin hero, I doubt it gets in. If, but if that one gets in, like, I'll, I'll, I don't know, maybe, maybe that becomes horse number three for me. I thought, I thought that was a, that was a pretty impressive showing at Santa Anita to come over here. They were on a mission to get that horse into the Derby and that was the only way. So we, we see horses traveling all the time that have problems. And they did that with a three-year-old taking a random shot and it almost worked. So I, I think it's, I think something's there. Dave, uh, high on Forte, on Practical Move, a couple of the ones that he'll definitely be using. So, Dave, before we let you go, got to get a, a thought or two on, man, so much crazy stuff happened in the NBA. It, the, the NBA is is so different than the other sports, too, because so much of the off-the-court stuff is, and, like, the storylines are equally as intriguing as the on-court, but it's been a, a fun start to the playoffs. We've had a bunch of unlucky injuries. Some of the best players have been been already out. We've seen the heavy favorite, the team that was the number one seed, go down in five games, which 
was incredible losing to the Heat who lost a play-in game and were down to the Bulls with like a few minutes left. Like didn't didn't even seem like they were going to make it. And now we have the Lakers versus the Warriors about to start in the second round. LeBron versus Curry. Curry's throwing up 50. Dylan Brooks is calling people out and dodging interviews. Um <laughs> The the Memphis Grizzlies turn from like the the biggest baby face into the the biggest heel of all time for you wrestling fans. There's a hell of a lot to, going on in the NBA right now, huh? Like I feel like I've been punched in the groin three times in the. I, <laughs> you might have been by Brooks, by Draymond. You go, you got stomped on. Maybe Harden, right? Uh, who oh, who else? Like new thing. Yeah, uh, it is. Where did this come from? Like, where yeah. And it's like legit players doing it to other legit players. Granted, you can make up your mind for what you consider a legit player, but no, it, it's been it's been a hell of a time. You getting like one knock, like people people say, oh, the NBA's it's always the favorites in the NBA, and hockey's where things get wild. And it's like, no, look look at the seeds that have won this year this year in the NBA. Granted, the Lakers Warriors as a six and seven is not your common six and seven mm-hmm. seeds that are in the West. Yep. But they had so injuries it, and um, trade, you know, Lakers made their big trade that, that we talked about and they look like a, a different team since. But we've had a five, six, seven and eight seed all win one round of a play of the playoffs so far, which is which is nuts, <laughs> which is fun. Like that's it, like it really even this as you get down to this, the final eight that are left. If you had to pick one out of each side. You're still not like like who, like, who is who lock yourself I mean. into who that would who be. Who are you even the most confident in right now? What's crazy is if you go through every team, the only team that's really played super well all throughout, I would say, is Denver. Mm-hmm. And they're getting talked about like the least. You know, nobody really ever talks about them. They're the number one seed in the West. People are really excited about LeBron and the Lakers, about Curry, and they're they're still alive. And the 50-piece that he put up, and oh my gosh, what's Jimmy Butler doing? He averaged 38 points in a series. That's crazy. And everyone just kind of penciled in the Phoenix Suns, who now all of a sudden, they don't look like they have any depth. And maybe Chris Paul is hurt. Like, you, it's that I kept thinking, okay, now, the one team who I hate is just going to cakewalk is the Boston Celtics, and then they lose and then to the they Sixers lose. without Harden, without Embiid. I, I can't, at home. It's, I couldn't believe that. It's not, yeah, like, that game looked like a write-off, and then all of a sudden, yeah, Philadelphia Harden turns back the clock six years and pulls out that win in Boston. Like, no, in the, like on the West, like, pity my, pity my Timberwolves. We, we, we didn't do it, but Honestly, like that playing game versus the Lakers, that you was one of the more difficult games the Lakers has the Lakers played. Have played. You should have beat us that game. You absolutely should have beat us that game. No so doubt we, about it. We gave the Lakers more than what Memphis gave them. 100%. For two games, Grant Wolves got blown out versus Denver in that first game there, but second game, Minnesota had the lead going to the fourth quarter. It's like, man, the Wolves have given Denver a better series than what Fe- and Grand Phoenix once at home might be different. But if CP3 is hurt, Maybe not. Like, really, their like, bench is the bad. Gonna be, yeah, they have nothing on their bench. Their bench is, yeah, mm-hmm. when they had four points last night, the bench did on one and, of 16 or two of 16 shooting. And they don't, it's weird because you, you don't notice these things until you get into a, a, a series and a matchup that's a little different. And it's just, they got lucky to play against that Clippers team without Kawhi and Paul George because. Mm-hmm. 
that team wasn't deep, but they were they were fighting their butts off. Like Westbrook was playing great, Powell was playing hard, and yep. if they had like one more guy, they might have beat this Suns team. Who now all of a sudden you look at a team that doesn't have very much depth, and they don't shoot threes either. So their margin for error is so tiny. They have to hit all of their mid range at such a high clip. You have a night like. You you know, we're recording on Tuesday. On Monday night, Durant misses a bunch of threes. He probably doesn't do that all the time, but he's not really shooting a lot of threes as much as he even did in, in other years. So now all of a sudden, this there's a ton of pressure on Phoenix. They get a few days off now. They want the they basically let the Western Conference series catch up. So the Lakers and Golden State will play two games, I think, um, before the well, next game. Well, but Denver has their own like Denver last night. If you're going to beat Denver, that was the game to beat Denver. Absolutely. <laughs> like Jamal Murray did not have a good game like, at all. Gordon was kind of there, but Porter did nothing. So the second, really, Porter and Murray are the second and third of of the scoring pieces. Are probably two of the top three, and they they were yeah five of twenty two for fifteen points. That was the game to beat Denver, and Phoenix couldn't do it. That Jokic just beat him into submission. With his he's little a, running floaters that we don't centers do the running head start from the three point line, yes. catch it at the free throw line and flick it up. And it was like he he just destroyed him. Like at least the Wolves threw had two different kind of big options to throw at him where if Aiton doesn't have it and he doesn't always have it, like no. Jokic is just gonna feast. It is. I just you could just feel it watch even last night when the first half Phoenix had a little bit of success and they were up and then Chris Paul got hurt and they went out. But you could that that's sort of the problem is you could feel it when you watch their games that if they don't have Chris Paul, Devin Booker and Durant and Aiton, like almost all four of them on the court, they are in serious trouble. And those guys played 43 minutes in a first round series against the Clippers. Yep. Like they can't you're going to sustain that and this this is what happens, and this is the, like, I will say for someone who's a fan of the Lakers and Anthony Davis, for the first pl- the first game of the playoffs, at it looked like he got hurt in the first half, and on at halftime, Stephen A. Smith just lambasted Anthony Davis and said, I am sick of this. Laker fans are sick of this. I can't believe this. This is embarrassing. Even though Anthony Davis basically carried the Lakers on his back the last month of the year to get them into the play-in and then into this spot, and then Anthony Davis doesn't even miss any any of that game. Like, he plays the whole second half. He plays well. They win the game. He has a really good series, but we don't hear the same stuff about all the other guys who who get hurt, you know, and are missing games. That's just what bothers me as, a, as an AD fan. I always think he's a little – he gets the crap a little bit more than others because – We've seen, unfortunately, already this year, Embiid, Giannis, Hero, now CP3. Like, all of these guys have missed games. Jaw missed a game. Like, that were really important. Fox didn't miss, but he looked like he was hurt. Everybody gets hurt. Randall, Brunson maybe right now, too. Yeah, it's part part of the thing with this at this point of the year, it's which which coaches are smart and adapt, like, I don't like I kept track of it with the Wolves because it was Anthony Edwards was really the the big piece God, that we he's had. So good. So it's he's a matter so of good, man. breaks. Laura, we're like Booker's 45 minutes and Durant's 44. 
like, how are you going to sub these guys properly to maximize their bench time and minimize how many minutes they missed during the game? Right. Like, so mm-hmm. it was like Edwards was subbing out before the TV timeouts and then you'd get a TV timeout. And then if you get some more other break in there, it was like, all right, well, technically he sat for like 12 minutes, but he yeah. really only missed like three minutes of game, the game time. They used to do that really good with Shaq. Um, in the Lakers, like back in the day, around Garvin the TV Camps time, that, Phil was right? fantastic with this. Yeah, mm-hmm. like and now, like with reviews, you catch a review at the right point, and like it extends it even more. So that will be like Ham is Ham is very quick triggered, correct? To yes. go back when things start spiraling, he goes back to LeBron and AD very quickly. Yeah, in yeah. Moments like this, he has he's going to have to play that right, or instead of going to him right then, call the timeout extend it a little bit that way before you go back to him because you're right you can see it with lebron and with anthony davis too they it's sort of what's fun about this series like i I don't think they can do it all seven games but can they do it four yep you know like good enough for every other time you know can as we record and a lot of people well i've heard this already by the time game one went but can the Lakers come out in game one and catch a Golden State team that might be a little more tired because they had to get up for a game seven and expend extra energy, and now they have a quick turnaround? And then all of a sudden, can you just sort of steal that one from them and maybe kind of change the the, the way that the series flows? Um, I LeBron used to be more of a feel-it-out guy. Like, he almost always would lose game one of the series. I think since he's a little older, it's different. I think he kind of wants to punch first. Then he can take a little step back mm-hmm. and, and give himself a breather. Um, and then he can kind of sort of go, come on, come at you again. So I'm excited, man, as a fan. Like you and I have talked the last few years and we'll always go, you know, once in the beginning, usually once at the middle, and then once again before the playoffs. And we talked at the beginning of the year. It was so, so much like, dread and and disappointment in my voice in my voice as a fan like just no high expectations whatsoever and then they make the trade and all of a sudden you feel like wow not only not it's not like this is the greatest roster in the world but they've got some life maybe lebron and anthony davis have a little bit of extra um they don't have as many miles this year on them because they did miss some extra games and you look around like we said who are you really terrified of like who scares you so yeah. much, right? Golden State's very good, and they can they can come at you. But remember, this team was eleven and thirty on the road this year. Eleven thirty, and right when they had their chance to close out in Game Six, they got home, blown they out. And that that's like that's when Golden State always has taken care of business. Like, all right, we're not going to play any unnecessary games that we don't need to. It's done. Game Six, nobody thought Sacramento would go in there and no win that. Chance. Nope. And sure enough. They they let up and, and they got bit and needed yeah then Steph gave one hell of a show Jeez, on that Sunday was... but it'll it's gonna be it's gonna be a ton of fun like yeah Golden State versus versus the Lakers LeBron versus Steph Demo versus his old team yeah but, and we've but no got... what a season-saving trade that was we kind of talked right when it happened but. The Minnesota Lakers Utah trade, like unbelievable. Minnesota got Conley and that Nikhil Walker for both, for both teams. For it, it really worked out well. Lakers got yep. everything they needed. It's it saved kind of both their seasons. It it hundred percent because for Minnesota, you needed someone 
that was a little bit more of a leader than D'Angelo is at this point of his career, and uh, like a, a better, like a better decision maker, like Conley, who doesn't make as many mistakes. And then for D'Angelo, it works out perfect because he can kind of slot a little bit lower on the Lakers to where we just want him to be D'Angelo most of the time. Yep. We just need him to come in and do what he's already done. Dude, He in the last three games that he played, he hit the three threes in a row when the Lakers were down seven. Mm-hmm. 97-90 with like four minutes to go in the game. He hit three threes in a row to go from down seven to up two. He then... In the following game, they lost at Memphis, but in the second half, he almost did the same thing. When the Lakers came all the way back to get it within one, it was because D'Angelo went on a run, and then he went nuts in the final game. And Dave, he was someone who was getting a lot of crap from people because he struggled a little bit last year in some spots with you guys. But people forget, he actually played really good in the play-in game to get you in. Yep. Right? And His, play, his play-in game was the reason the Timberwolves had a playoffs last year. So... I Probably never I felt like he was, he was yeah, and I've never felt like for him it was like a moment being too big thing. He just, he some matchups would be tough for him. He's not the best defender, right? So in some places, like, he can get, he can look, he can look bad. Probably loses his confidence a little bit sometimes when the other guards, like a jaw, is able to go at him, which was happening last year in that playoff series. But then this year, he just, there's a, there's a little bit more of a calm, a little bit less pressure on him when you don't need as much from him. And then he gave it to you like over and over and over. And man, it was great. It was and like, as a fan of the Lakers too, we'll win or lose this next series. What I like to see was the way they won that first series is exactly how you win series. When you go on a long run where you had like a LeBron game or two, Anthony Davis's defense was awesome all series, but he had a game or two. You had Rui with the first couple games. You had uh, D'Angelo with the last few games. You had Austin Reeves who showed up with a game or two. There was the one game when Vanderbilt scored like 10 points right off the bat, you know, it, because they're leaving him open. It's always like a different guy stepping up, and, and that's sort of what you need when you make those long runs because it can't just be the same one or two guys every night. Yep, you need you need guys the the other pieces. You need one or two of them to step up when you have when you have stars. Like you need them to show up. You don't know which one it's going to be, and you have to and it might zigzag. But you need all right. Who's going to help us out tonight? And no, the Austin Reeves performance. Whew, that, that kid's got some cojones on him. He's he's not scared. I. I he's, In- he, yeah, he gets a friendly whistle every once in a while. Feels he like. does. He no, he does. He he's got the other teams and the officials in the position to make those calls. They're not and, calling. And he, he's not getting I, calls. Just go. Oh, he's on the Lakers. We better give him free throws. He's what, putting the teams in positions to make those calls, and that's it's kind. It's a crafty way of playing, and it works. I think he's overall like a smart player. Just on, oh, he makes really good decisions. He doesn't like really turn the ball over a lot. He's he takes charge as well. I think that's a thing that the referees sort of see. And then they get, they start giving you the benefit of the doubt because they're like, oh yeah, Reeves is that guy. Like he's usually like respectful. He's in the good place. He's in the right place at the right time. And he starts to get those. And um, sort of one more if thing you get before a LeBron's, we go. If you're a player like him and you get the LeBron seal of approval, man, whatever you, whatever your ceiling was, you can go above that a little bit more, even unrealistically of as of what that player really is. If like, all right, LeBron. LeBron is passing me the ball. LeBron is encouraging me to shoot. Like, 
that's going to push you to become even better. Like, and he he gets just totally, totally embraced by the fan base. They chant MVP for him. Like, he gets the biggest reception of anyone. And when he was talking after the game the other night, he he's just such a smart, like, he's so eloquent, too. And, and the things that he says after um, they were asking him, you know, what it was like. And he said, it's it's so cool because, you know, now you get out on the basketball court and that's my job and that's what I've done. And like, I love basketball and I work at it. So I'll get in, in the moment and you forget that like I'm standing next to LeBron, you know, like LeBron is passing me the ball. LeBron comes over and is dancing with me. You know, they were doing their little shimmy after he did the Euro step. And, and he said, I, I don't even think about it until I go home and people remind me. You know, like, it would be, like, your friends telling you, Dave, like, dude, you were with LeBron. Like, what the, can you believe it? And, and, it, and it, that's when he said it sinks in the most because, you know, you get, that's what ends up happening. You get in the flow of work and this and that, and LeBron doesn't, isn't, doesn't seem like LeBron as much as he seems like the, your basketball uh, teammate. Yep. You know, the guy, but then you take a step back and Austin Reeves is like, how the hell am I right here? And, like, LeBron, <laughs> you know, like, it's it's just so cool to hear him like say the same exact thing that we would say he feels the same way. And like you watch D'Angelo in the background and um, he makes a pass, like an alley-oop to LeBron and he like jumps, he gets so excited yep. that he connects. He's like, he's still a fan. And that was what our, uh, our Mike Trudell, who um, I think did some work with the T-Wolves too. He yeah, back in the day, he's, he's a guy. solid uh, Minnesota guy, solid reporter. He said that, watching the Lakers that there's like three guys in particular, um, like D'Angelo, Austin and AD and it, and the relationship they have with LeBron is almost, it's like a younger brother and they just, they're they just do not want to disappoint him at all. They get so sad that like, if they do something wrong, they, it's like, Oh my gosh, I let LeBron down and they just don't want to do that. And that's, that's kind of cool. Like it's, it's fun to see this after two months ago was, I wouldn't have ever said in a million years they would be here. LeBron gets hurt at near the end of the regular season, and uh oh, they're they're, they're on the outside in. LeBron's hurt; it's done, and then they they fought back, and here they are with a hell fifty fifty chance versus Golden State on this. Awesome, Dave. Uh, maybe we'll check in again at the end uh, towards the NBA Finals and see how things are going. And Canterbury right around the corner too, right? Yeah. Not- Memorial Day yeah. week, I think, was starting up this year. So Awesome. So cool. Well, we'll check in with you then, too. They have some of the best takeout anywhere. And as horse players, we want to support that low takeout when we get a chance to get more of our money back. Dave, buddy, thank you so much. We were able to cover a lot of ground, the modesty, the derby, some NBA. Really appreciate it. And I hope you have a, a great week kicking back, watching uh, Bummer. No more hockey, though, for you, too, right? It seemed like things were going well just a few weeks ago for the Wild. And uh and they're out. The Kings got knocked out too, but lots of hockey, lots of NBA, lots of racing coming up. And uh, we'll be talking to you again really soon. Thank you again for all your help, buddy. Really appreciate it. No problem. Go sweet Danny girl. Let's go. Sweet Danny girl, wire to wire, baby. Let's get her out front. Javi, make sure to give Dave a follow at Superstats. Dave, great, great guy to talk some basketball with and, uh, and talk racing with. And we'll check in with Dave again real soon. But don't go anywhere, folks. Still have a lot more to come on this Friday undercard on Kentucky Oaks Day. And we'll be right back. Great catching up with Dave. And if you were hearing that, you could tell we were talking about some NBA stuff that had happened before the Lakers and, uh, and Golden State Warriors series started. And whew, 
that was quite a game on Tuesday night. Still have not, my voice still hasn't recovered, not just from that, but from about the last few months of being sick on and off. But the yelling and screaming during the Laker games, slam it, big man. You know, that doesn't really help uh, when I'm trying to rest my voice. But okay, Lakers, Lakers got the first one. Dave, good luck to you this weekend, buddy. Up next, it's going to be the eight bells. Before we get there, I want to remind everyone, do you know about Stable Duel, the horse racing contest? StableDuel.com, you download the app. They're daily contests you can play. Some days they have free games. And what's cool about it, if you've ever played like in like a football DraftKings-style format where it's a salary cap, that's how Stable Duel is. So you can't just pick the favorite in every race along the way. If you're someone who looks for big prices, this will be really fun for you. You can play in some smaller contests or in bigger contests. They have different tracks each and every day. Stable Duel. Get your entries in and play race win. There's actually a weekly Stable Duel preview show every Friday morning at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. And it's on Twitter, on social media. If you follow Stable Duel, if you follow me, it's me, Gino B. You can see that live stream, and we'll always give you best bets. We'll set you up for the weekend. Myself, Matt DeSantis, and Barry Spears. Race number seven on the Friday Churchill card is the Eight Bells. We talk about the Eight Bells and the likelihood of a heavy favorite in here with Ren Carruthers, who does some great work over at Tampa for a bunch of other places, but probably a, a voice that you hear and a face that you see up on the Tampa Bay simulcast feed often. Ren Carruthers talking the eight bells. Keep rolling along the Friday card on the Churchill Downs Kentucky Oaks undercard. We're up to race number seven, a name, a horse, a race that is named for uh, an amazing, amazing horse, the late eight bells. Um, always great to talk about this race because what you get on these Churchill Downs weekends, you get the the best of the best in the Oaks, in the Derby, but you get a lot of really good horses that either maybe don't want to go quite that far, maybe they're quite they're not quite that far along yet, and we see them in races like the Pat Day Mile and the Eight Bells, the race that we're going to talk about right now. I'm very excited to introduce our next guest. You've heard her on this show many times. You hear her voice out at Tampa Bay Downs doing the uh, the simulcast and the broadcast out there, a fantastic handicapper. She writes and she hosts shows and she does interviews for all sorts of places. Ren Carruthers, my good friend I've known for many years. How you doing? <laughs> well, after that introduction, I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> So nice to talk with you again. I always love seeing your face and uh, hearing your voice on the Tampa feed over there. My buddy Barry's got the chance to go out there and work with you a couple times too. The sniper, love. uh, We have so much fun. Your crew out there is awesome. Jason calling the races. You guys have an absolute blast. How are things going on your end? Well, things are going great. I'm a little sad. You know, Tampa is going to be wrapping up the spring season on Saturday. Um, but no, it's been a lot of fun. I love the racing there. And uh, there's there's more fun to be had as we now are progressing through the year. The Breeders' Cup is going to start rolling more uh, with the Winning Your In uh, Challenge Series. And then we're going to get into the Future Stars Friday again. So no, it, it, I'm looking forward to a lot in racing. But right now, obviously, all the focus is on uh, Churchill Downs. So this weekend, Friday, big day with the Oaks. Saturday, big day with the Derby. Ren and I are going to talk about the eight bells, and then we'll get a a thought or two from her on the Derby. So, Ren, 
the race that we have, we have some talented fillies, but wow, there's one that we have to start with from the outside. And she's going to be so tough to beat in here. And what is amazing about money's gold for everyone who's following along seventh race, Churchill downs on Friday, May the fifth money's gold for Todd Pletcher. She's three for three. She's, you know, just looking at her running lines. If you haven't even watched the races, you can see she's crushed. She's barely been tested. And in two of her races, she's faced Florida breads. So if you wanted to, to say, okay, who did she beat? <laughs> the concern with that Ren, or the counter, the quick counter to that would be, well, the horse she beat dreaming of snow was the 38 to one winner of the sun coast who just beat wonder wheel and Julia shining. So well, you can very easily just kind of counter that, right? Well, even if people want to discount that, I would say, well, who did she beat? Well, she beat Win Win Win, who, as a four-year-old, won the Forgo stakes, the grade one Forgo. And what I mean by that is when she won the sophomore Phillies by 17 and a quarter length, she did it in a record time of basically 120. 120 and nine one hundreds if you want to get completely technical. Um, and that beat the previous record, which was set by Win 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 when he won the 2019 Pasco Stakes. So when I am you know, uh, confronted with that argument that you just made of what people, oh, well, who did she beat? I would say she beat Win Win Win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it's just really tough to knock her we saw her sit off a little bit too. And more than anything, the draw helped her out. It's beautiful for a horse like this. If you if you have questions about a speed horse, and let's say this will be the toughest group that she's faced, probably just three or four other really nice horses all tackling her at the same time. But she's not down inside. She's drawn to the outside. So if she wants to sit off horses, that option should be given to her. There are a lot of horses on the two-day cards that are maybe coming back, making their first start of the year off a Breeders' Cup race, or they haven't run in a while, and you see them, it might be a spot to take a shot against them, to take a swing against them. I like a couple other fillies in this race a lot, Ren, but if this filly shows up with anything close to what she's run, her her slowest race on speed figures is faster than the fastest race that any other horse in here has run. And she does it in a gallop. She doesn't even look like she's all out. That's the the freaky thing about her. And for me, she's just a free square. So I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm just gonna like watch and enjoy. And if I were playing this in any which way, I I mean, yeah, I you can play the horses underneath and hopefully get a prize because I mean, of course, as you're saying, there are a couple of fillies in here that make some sense. Obviously, red carpet ready makes sense too for because like at real Churchill. quick, not to interrupt. Yeah. You, yeah. it almost looks like if if you were to take her out of the race, it would be a race. Oh, it'd be a super right? competitive race. Oh, The other yeah. seven, you'd start really like, wow, I can make a case for almost all of them, uh, you know, and here and there. They, yes. Even, like even horses like Grand Love and Olivia Twist, like if you're looking for prices yes. underneath, I like them cutting back here. I think you can make a case for them. The problem is if this, if the freaky filly to the outside <laughs> runs anything close to what she has, they're all going to be in the same race. It's just going to be for second. 
Exactly. <laughs> and I think for some of these horses that are used to getting a, the lead, you know, it, it may discourage them a bit. I mean, red carpet ready. She looks logical, but why do I want to take you know, second choice under a horse who's going to be one to nine? I yeah. mean, I, I, I don't want to do that. And so there are enough horses in here where I feel like, okay, well, let's pad in some prices. Then I, you mentioned Olivia twist. She's a horse that makes, I think a lot of sense when the first mm-hmm. three starts of the career, then she had that wet fast track there in the Martha Washington and then the sloppy sealed going in the honeybee while also being drawn wide. The fantasy was a good race for her, you know, yep. a, another wide type post. But um, I thought, I think turning back in distance um, here in the eight bells for her at the seven furlongs, I, I think it's a nice fit. I even think condensation is a horse that has a look about her uh, turning back in distance after having that wide drawn the fantasy. And the fantasy was lit. I mean, you had 11 horses run back since, eight of them in the money. Three of them next out winners, obviously wet paint being one of them. She took the fantasy as she pleased, right? You had defining purpose, go on to win the Ashland at Keeneland. You had effortlessly elegant, take that optional 100. And then she ran fifth after having gotten the lead in the Ashland. So I I, I think any of these horses from the fantasy makes sense. Any of these horses that sort of had had um, speed now on the turn back. I'm a little intrigued, but I don't know if I'm intrigued enough by the Chad Brown, second time starter, a seed. Obviously, you're going to have a great pedigree there. It's a Judmont homebred, and she she won convinc- convincingly. It's a tough spot to ask her to go um, in just the second start of her career against this field. And I would be more prone to like her more if she were a more generous price. Yeah, I agree. That's what's hard is that she she could get bet a little bit too because she's got some upside, right? I right. think people are playing this race looking at her. She. Her trip was she got a little shuffle back and she she a she few spots a little bit and, at the start yeah yeah and she but she waited patiently like she looked good and she's a half to a grade three winner named uh named Flying Jib who mm-hmm. was pretty good at like seven furlongs to about a mile ish on the turf like right around there she beat a next out maiden special weight winner like just plenty of things to like about her but, but that horse I, like, won the eight... main special weight on the turf too that's the other yeah. part of that um I will say you you mentioned pedigree the mom did win the Buena Vista. Um, you know, but I mean, this is like you said, a horse with upside. Like eight, but like you said, at Mick, eight to one ish would would probably entice me more than what right, we're gonna not, get yeah, on exactly. her. Yeah, and she's probably gonna be like half of that. That's that's the only issue. And yeah, I mean, there again, if you're playing this and looking for another price or two, like if Money's Gold isn't in this race, there's a couple races that Positano Sunset has that are fine. You know, that might be okay if the if the pace heated up. You see the race at Churchill, the race at Keeneland. They're both good. I think six and a half-ish, seven-ish is probably a little bit better for this filly because she's not just quite as fast. Some of the others when they're they're sprinting or when the really fast sprinters are there, um, I, I can make a little case for her. And and what? I mentioned Grand Love, you know, Grand another Love, one cutting yes. back. Like, you, she's not really shown that she wants to rate much, but you could see her sitting more of a trip here where it's not even really sitting. It's just more of that like fast cruising, Mm -hmm. you know, letting her rip and she's just a little more fit cutting back. Well, I I think also it's encouraging that in that sloppy sealed honeybee, which was her first start off the layoff. um, She didn't, she just basically merry go around in the the show dough spot. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it does show that she doesn't get discouraged from still being competitive uh, if she doesn't get the lead. There are some just horses. Just pack it right in. Right. Exactly. Because we do know that there are some horses right away. They're not on the lead. They're just like, okay, I'm not running. <laughs> well, and you know what? There's a lot of horses that your husband 
finds that out about. Yeah. And then when people don't want to play them back because they run so poorly, he pops them the next time, right? Because well, people see a horse <laughs> beat 20 lengths and they're like, oh, I don't want to play that horse. But it didn't matter because that last race they were in, it wasn't the race shape for them. Exactly. So who cares if they beat, get beat by three lengths or by 20? But but in this case, what I, I like, I, the point is very, very valid in that Grand Love doesn't seem like that type of horse anymore. Mm-hmm. She fought. Um, and even in that last race, like they they went quick early. I think they had the the the, the plan was let's make sure she's on the lead. Yeah. Right. Let's establish that. Let's get her out front. And she went a little bit too fast. And it's it's just probably a little farther than where, where she wants to go. Right. Yeah. She, like cut her back to, to this sprint. And unfortunately, all the, the all the fun stuff we're talking about with all these Phillies, if this one of the outside shows up with just like a <laughs> <Does it> B minus. <laughs> Like a B minus or a C plus effort, it it really won't matter. But no. it's horse racing, right? We it see this all the time. It, gotta get no, the gate, out of the gate. Every like it's gotta happen. But no, I but mean, absolutely. I just I just have to be able to level. see it on the paper, right? You have to you have to be able to project more than just well, if something crazy were to happen, you know, like that <laughs> that can't be my handicapping analysis or reasoning to go bet a horse. I can say sure. Things can happen, but in this race, money's gold is very well spotted. I honestly think she probably scared a few off from this race too. I would she think so. Yeah, like, yeah. She she's he a, announced a, pretty quickly. I asked, I sent him a text, right, Todd Pletcher, um, right after she won uh, the sophomore Phillies there at Tampa, and he already knew that this was going to be the next target. So it's been out there, and people have known for a while. So I, I would say, I would say that's fair. That she she may have scared some off. Uh, she she's just a really cool feeling. Like I said, it's one thing when they're putting up these figures and they look like they're all out when they do it. When they look like she does, and <laughs> it's just like, oh, let's just go ahead and beat a track record uh, that had been one twenty eighty nine one hundredths, and uh, it's it, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. Money's gold. She will be so tough to beat in the eight bells. That's Churchill Downs Friday race number seven. But Ren, while we have you here, the Derby field has been set oh. for Saturday. The uh, odds are out. Uh, the draw is out. Now we are still recording on Wednesday morning. So there's a lot of things that can change in the next mm-hmm. three days between now and then. But You've been following these horses since they were two-year-olds, since uh, <laughs> since last year. You know a lot of the trainers, the owners, the breeding, the connections. I do. Give me just uh, some overall. Give me a couple that you like, a, you know, two or three that are going to be in the mix for you. Or I don't know if you have a one set strong opinion, but oh. give us overall uh, a couple that are on your radar. Okay, well, I'll just, I'll tell you straight up. I mean favorite or not Forte is my pick. I, the horse to me is just all class. And when you go through and you look at this field and, and, you know, based on obviously the wins he's collected are already impressive, right? You're coming in off having won the Florida Derby and you did it. And in a way in which you showed a lot of heart, I thought, because you know, I wasn't I even his best, right? No, yeah. And I, he had to overcome, I, you know, it really, you know, the, when people were talking ahead of the Florida Derby saying, oh, well, this should just be a cakewalk for him. Based, I thought that was un, an unfair pre-race assessment. Why should that be a cakewalk for any horse? I, when you're drawn wide there in, in the track configuration and you're in a grade one and whatever you might think of the rest of the field, you're still in a huge field of three-year-old Colts and Geldings. And you have to navigate now this draw you have 
and and get there. And it, I think was it starting to rain right before the race, or there it, 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 there was a lot of kickback anyway, which was there's the there's the kind of things that it, it's like a double standard, right? Because yeah. if he doesn't win that race and he runs like a second or third, they'll say. Oh well, it's a super a superstar would have overcome that, but right. then and then when he does, they're yeah. like, "Well, he was supposed to do that." You exactly. Know? You uh, can't you can't win. And and the thing is also with this horse, um, in the stretch there when he's coming around wide and he's just covered in all this kickback, which is just real. It was really sticking to him. Um, I'm thinking to myself, "Oh, he looks." I don't know if he's going to, I don't think he can get there. And you see Mage and Mage put forth a, a tremendous performance. I mean, if you recall there, poor Mage in the fountain of youth, he like hooked himself on the gate getting out that day. Um, but I, I, I was watching Forte and he finally just got into the stretch and he got up to Mage and then he went by him. And if you watch the, the, the footage they got of Mike Rapoli as he crossed the wire, his reaction was my reaction too. It was this thankful but disbelief that, oh my gosh, he got there. How did he get there? And so I, I just felt that showed a lot of heart. And that's what you need in a horse that you're looking for as a derby contender. And then obviously, you know, I am I am the, the petty geek, right? So for me also, you here you have this horse. He, he won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And if he wins the derby, for those who don't know, he'll, he'll be only the third horse to have won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and then go on to win the Kentucky Derby, the first being Street Sense, the second being Nyquist. But this family of Fortes is just so freaking deep. I talk about this a lot. It's Family 1X. And Family 1X is one of, if, if not the classiest, uh, families you can find in the book it's the you know la troyan there's a race named after la troyan for a reason okay so it's her family and it's produced kentucky derby winners already like sea hero that was back in 1993 you see the statue of sea hero in Sar in the paddock at saratoga uh smarty jones in 2004 super saver in 2010 easy goer is part of that family he was second in the 89 derby prairie bayou was second in 1993 bluegrass cat was second in 2006 and this is also the family of buck passer and why i bring that up because buck passer i know didn't run in any of the triple crown races but still he's one of the greatest horses we've had champion two-year-old champion three-year-old first horse to amass over a million dollars uh you know as a three-year-old uh, or you know before hitting four rather um and that horse was just crazy good he missed the triple crown series because he had a quarter crack but uh he had won over the course of his career 25 or 31 starts and again, he's just one of the all-time greats. So this is the type of family we're dealing with now with Forte. And I I just love it. And not only that, but violence, violence didn't really get to show us what he could do one way or the other. Unfortunately, his career was cut short. Uh, but he's by Mandagli Dioro, who won the Trevors. And then you have um, him also coming, violence from this really deep family of sky beauty. Uh, Forte's broodmare sire is Blame. Blame is just like... Yeah, I mean, out of bounds, great broodmare sire right now. And Blame himself, a classic winner. And Blame comes from the family of like Sadler's Wells and Nuriave. It's just deep, deep, deep pedigree all the way through for Forte. So I love it. And um, so obviously not a price. You're going to think I'm a wise guy with the next one. <laughs> it's the Derma. Derma no, Sodagaki. <laughs> he's, but this is the, honestly... And the, the two horses that you're mentioning, right? Because for Forte, you feel like his he had his really good race off the bench, and then he actually kind of regressed a little bit in one. And I think he's got another step to to take forward. 
this this feels like a year um I don't really have a, a crazy strong opinion and I I'm convinced that we're going to have a Japanese horse win this race soon. Like it's <laughs> it's going I think it I'm pretty convinced it's going to happen soon. I always want to get there another thing uh, that uh, I, I learned from uh, Mr. Matt Carruthers, who learned it from Mr. Gibson Carruthers. You yeah. want to be ahead of those key races, and you want to be ahead of the information yeah. instead of behind it. Because just like you said, there used to be the the curse of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile right. before Street Sense, and then Nyquist, and now it's not even really a thing anymore, right? Like, we don't even really think about it. It's only happened a few times. That is That would be the case if we have one Japanese horse, and then maybe one more, then it just sort of becomes a thing, and now it you don't get value built in. Right. I, I know this horse is going to take some money, but if he's like the fourth choice and he is around 10 to 1 and he's not really lower than that, I think that might be fair for his chances in here. You put a tier of the the proven North American horses that we've seen run mm-hmm. here and we know are proven at this st- with this style, with this flow, and then he's a wild card question mark, but I, I, he is talented. And I don't think he's a one-dimensional need-the-lead horse either exactly. from watching other races. I, I don't know why everybody – could he go to lead? Possibly. Sure. He's got speed. But I don't know why everybody's – I shouldn't say everybody. I don't know why there are a lot of people who are convinced he's going to go for the lead. I think it's going to be reincarnate on the lead from post-7. But mm-hmm. uh, with, with Derma Sadagaki, if you look at some of those races from Japan – he was in mid-pack, and the thing I love about him, because here you're going to have this 20-horse you know, field, he doesn't get intimidated. He looks like an alpha male, like, get out of it. my way. I'm coming through. He's come from mid-pack. You know, yeah, he won the UAE Derby in the style in which he did on the front end. And the thing that was crazy with that, too, is I don't know if it was just my eyes. I would really love to see a definitive breakdown of that last split because – it looked like he was accelerating to the wire um, in that race. And so, you you know, you talk about being a wild card. I think there's enough data that we can crunch in based upon those past races, based upon uh, with the, the, pedic- the, the figure makers we've seen too, like David and, and Craig from Time yeah. Form US. Craig put a lot in. I talked with him yesterday. He put a lot in to like really making figures out of those races more than they've ever done before. And this horse fits. He, yeah. he thinks he's right. Like all of the figure makers who have never felt that way before they've never said that. In fact, it's always been the opposite about horses from, from other places on the dirt. It's almost always been that way, right well, on the turf. Yeah. It's way different. Cause then the turf, like we are the, the behind the rest of the right. world a lot of the time, but on the dirt, it's so much different. Everybody else is, is like worlds behind the the class, the caliber, the speed. I've heard nobody at all feel like this horse is going to be outclassed. And I can't ever recall this type of feeling for a horse um, coming over like this. I think it's all warranted. I really do. I do. And I the other parts of the equation that I love about him are, okay, well, we'd like to play common opponent game, right? Um, Dermo Sotagaki had beat a horse named Hero Call in the Zinapon Nasei Yushun. Hero Call uh, was fourth to him in that race, okay? But Hero Call had previously beaten Mandarin Hero 
by a neck in the Kumatori show. And that, and then Man- Mandarin Hero came over here and he lost by only a nose to Practical Move, putting and up a 100 buyer race. figure in the Santa Anita yeah. Derby. And yeah. Pa- Practical Move got a perfect trip. Mandarin Hero got shuffled back in there. He was in between and he outfinished Skinner. So yes. he was so, also in the Derby. Um, I, well, the thing with Skinner, I don't know if it was wide around a turn, wide around a turn, or is he just hang? I don't he, know. Yeah. He, and, and and I don't know if it was a combination. And I wonder if they they put her Juan Hernandez on him too a little bit. He's reportedly been working like training like amazing in was the morning. Was a beautiful too. horse, and he's yeah, got he, and he's he's you would think oh okay well he's going to come closing. He feel he sort of flattens out right. He makes the well, big oh my gosh move, yeah, and then it just flattens. I don't know if it needs to be timed better or maybe it was just sort of the way the track and practical move kept getting the inside run, so it was. It looked deceiving, but I don't know. You were well, spot on with the uh, the form and and how that stacks up for Dermot yeah, Sotokake compared. Exactly, and not only that. So now, if anybody has okay, well, what about the pedigrees by Mind Your Biscuits? Yeah, Mind Your Biscuits like to sprint. He also won routing at Churchill Downs, but not only that. If you look at the bottom side of that pedigree, this horse should. I mean, can, that bottom side of the pedigree can go for days. The the mom is a is by a champion three year old son of Sunday Silence. And then the second dam is by an arc winner. I mean, what do you want? <laughs> we you check. Know? You're checking the all the boxes, right? This was winner. Yes. We've seen him too. Win around here wasn't a horse who just came over right now. Um, I, I, I'm not going to get beat by this horse at no. all. Like I'm not going to let him beat me in any of the exotics and. And what do you think about? Because okay, Lemaire, do you think he learned from last year? Okay, maybe we don't want to just go jet, jet it. You've got Pro and, Seventeen. And you've got a horse that's proven that he can come from off it. So I don't. And know. You know what? I think, Ren, when we we hear about people uh, that discuss this with the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. The way that the Kentucky Derby, that particular race, is it's so different than any other race any day of the year at any point. Think about how the race before it ends, and then there's ninety minutes. Yeah. So the Derby, you have all of the walk, the lead over that you're thinking about a race for that long in between. That doesn't ever happen. It's exactly like the Super Bowl, how they say you come out, you warm up, and then there's all this. There's a pre-show. There's a national anthem. There's another stuff. They do award ceremonies. And then by the time the game starts, you're like cold again because you've warmed up. And then you go to halftime and halftime's way longer. And the game doesn't really flow a lot. All that. I'm sure for a jockey that's never been in it for the first time when you're there and the music starts playing and everything starts going that experience it's got to be huge like overwhelming in a good and bad way yeah right that first time and now you when you know what to expect and you settle in i mean we see it with like every sport very rarely does a team or a player go right into like the finals or a championship and win. They usually have some growing pains along the way. They usually lose in the first round once yeah. or twice before they they kind of figure it out. And I, I really think it's the same for a lot of these riders with a race like this that's so different than every other normal race. Oh, no, absolutely. I, the, I, I always think about even once that moment's come and you're sitting in the gate on that horse and the, the doors are just about to pop Ugh. open. How what, nervous, right? Oh, like, I can't even imagine it. The hairs ah. on the back of your neck are just standing up, and you're just like, oh, gosh. I know. Yeah. And the other thing, too, uh, before, also, I you would have to really feel for those jocks who were, you know, right where the auxiliary gate 
ended or where the main gate ended and the auxiliary gate started. We don't have that anymore. The little gap, oh. I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which, by the way, somebody brought up a great point. Chris Larmy, he brought up a great point, and I completely agree wholeheartedly about this. We keep talking about oh stats, gate stats. Who cares about They're the relevant? They're irrelevant. I mean, I didn't really care about them anyway, to be Me honest neither. with you, Me because neither. it ends up just being a melee coming out of the gate anyhow um, when you have that many horses. But, um, uh, you know, it really, really doesn't matter now who won from what post. I mean, it's not even the same gate. <laughs> no, they're different. And it's irrelevant. It's, it's irrelevant when it's in this big gate when 16 and 18 have won, but 17 hasn't. Oh right? no. it's different. It's different. If, <laughs> it's different if it, if you're getting to a point where it's like, okay, any horses outside of this number haven't because they are losing so much ground. Well, sure, like that's a relevant thing, but that's not a thing, you know. Like if right. they were to say everybody outside of seventeen has never won, okay, well now you're starting to tell me that the horses that are that far out wide, maybe it's just so hard for them to get over. But there's nothing to take no. from the statistics to to use. They're just like you said, it's it's such chaos in a 20 horse field yes. and such randomness that uh, all all these different types of horses from different types of places are going to be getting less than beneficial trips no um, does it matter for example going back to the florida derby in that scenario yeah because it's a different thing you're you know the way you're sure you, you, the configuration there are times obviously it matters it matters with the horse's respective running style of like they already need the lead type and they're drawn wide and there's other speed that now they're gonna have to try to get over and clear of course it matters in those instances but in the derby it's just such a different like you said before it's just such a different animal and with the horse like that people had been talking about, like the seven, as we mentioned, the 17, Derma Sotogake, I don't think he's one dimensional. I think he's a horse who Mm-mm. sure wants to, can wants to be forward. And from that post, that that's fine for him. He's not going to have to send really, really hard. He can just sort of be forward, see what mm-hmm. happens to the inside of him and then pick where he wants to go. We um, definitely don't want to send, send, send like that. No, no. Oh, gosh. But no. yeah, yeah. Oh boy. I mean, that, that's when something real crazy can happen. Right. I will. Yep. Here's a fun fact for you. I, I dropped this yesterday too. I love this. So this is the 50th anniversary of Secretariat's triple crown. Right. And, um, don't, and nobody can at me here. Greatest horse of all time. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so all the three, all three records still stand. Obviously is his record in the Derby his record in the Preakness record in the Belmont. Um, every horse in this gate with the exception of one has Secretariat in their pedigree. And the one that doesn't is Dermasodagaki. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. <laughs> Gotta be the one that stands out, right? Right. <laughs> oh, oh, that is awesome. And you okay, can't Ren- even say you can't even say that that you know it's because you know Japanese, right? You're you're by mind your biscuit, but mind your biscuits doesn't have them in the pedigree. So what do you have coming up the the rest of this week? Where can we find some of your work? What's your schedule like? Uh, we're recording Whoa. Wednesday. Um, okay. You're heading out there, right? You said you're heading out to the tracks. Yes. But where so, can we find more of your work or content or anything you're going to be doing? Okay, so we are going to be wrapping up um, Tampa Bay Derby's you know spring season. We we have that little bit in. I can't officially say it's the end of the meet because we have that little summer festival little racing, two days, which is right? Very, exactly. Yeah. That officially ends the meet and then begins the next one. But so this, so I like to say we're ending the spring season on Saturday. Um, so I'll you can catch me there on the simulcast, still giving out selections. Um, and then I'm actually yeah going to be. At uh, the Oaks and the Derby, I'm hosting uh, Hall of Fame jockeys on both days for Q&A sessions uh, for Derby experiences. 
And then uh, after that, you know, obviously focus turns to Breeders' Cup uh, as the challenge series starts. And we start looking at the two-year-olds that, are, that we should begin looking at. And uh, so the Future Stars forecast. We have some full Friday content that's we've put two out so far. There's plenty to be more full Friday content for Breeders' Cup. Uh, and then other than that, I mean, I'm just around. I, I think we're doing some stuff with America's Best Racing. And and that's essentially it. <laughs> Ren, you are such a joy to talk to. Oh, I always thanks. love listening to you because I always learn something from you too, whether it be from pedigree. But I, I don't want you just getting typecasted as a pedigree. Oh, you are so much more than that. You are you. always thorough with your chart analysis, with your replay analysis, with uh, talking about you know the way races shape up, uh, I really appreciate that. Thank Send you. Maddie all my love, please. I, I hope will. you and your family uh, have an awesome week. Good luck with all your plays, and we're going to be following along with all your work. Awesome, same. Make sure to give Ren a follow, folks. She does such a fantastic job with everything, and uh, please support her work over at Tampa. Don't go anywhere. We have a lot more to discuss on the Friday card. Stay tuned. Thank you to Ren Carruthers for helping us out with the eight bells. And a big thank you to one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, Cindy Carava. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. And she can help connect you with Vendors, if you're looking for home improvement, if you're just curious how much your home is worth, she'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. If you need help with a, a home loan, she can connect you with the right type of lenders. Um, anything you need, knowledge about the market, questions, that's what she's there for just to make your life easier. CindyCarava.com. We head to race number eight on the Friday undercard. It's the Unbridled Sydney. It's a five and a half furlong turf sprint and we have the breeders cup turf sprint winner caravel as your heavy favorite in there colin sheehan joins us to talk about race number eight on the friday card continuing on the friday card on the kentucky oaks undercard so we're up to race number eight which is a, a really fun turf sprint it's called the unbridled sydney stakes it's a three hundred thousand dollar sprint stakes for fillies and mares three-year-olds and up. They'll be sprinting on the turf. Excited about our guest to talk about this race, Colin Sheehan from Trust the uh, Trust the Profits, doubling down. I've joined him and spoke with him on the shows a few different times. Does a lot of fantastic work with Trust the Profits. Does lots of stuff with our buddy Matt DeSantis. Uh, we see recaps with stuff, previews of things all over. Colin, you've been really, really doing some great work over the last uh, year or so and becoming a, a lot more visible on social media, putting out Tons of content, lots of free content too that can help people, like super educational stuff, talking it out, fun stuff. I really like a, a lot of the work that you do, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate your support because you're part of that reason that I'm out there on social media and allowing me to do uh, have opportunities like that. That's my goal is to give people educational and entertaining content. I'm not out there trying to sell picks. I'm definitely not the best at this. Uh, but it's a lot of fun, and I'm so glad to have found a community that enjoys the horse racing uh, as much as I do. 
But we're going to talk with Colin a little bit about the Kentucky Derby in a minute. We'll get uh, to pick his brain and talk about, you know, maybe a horse or two he likes and maybe one or two that he doesn't. But first, we want to help. Uh, we want to have him help us with the race. And that's on the undercard for Friday on the Kentucky Oaks undercard. We get to handicap the unbridled Sydney. And this is a, a really tough turf sprint as these turf sprints always are Colin. It just comes down to trip. When you have these big fields, they're going these short, short distances. One or two horses always seem like they get in a ton of trouble, but looking at this field from a, a talking standpoint, we sort of have to start with Caravel, who is your breeders cup turf sprint winner back in November. Now she won that race at 42 to one. So she wasn't, you know, a favorite or a, a major player going into that race, but she's a horse who's always had a lot of ability and she's a, a 13 time winner in 21 starts. She came back and in her first start of the year on April the 8th, she won again. And I say, she, she has beaten the boys in her last couple starts. And now she's actually going to be back in with Phillies and mares in here. So on the morning line, she has been installed as your four to five favorite, at least from a talking point and from a, a pace standpoint, she's pretty quick. Got to kind of start with her. Absolutely. That's what I do when I'm looking at turf races, especially stakes races. I look for the class and she's the class of this field. She's got a win at a grade three, obviously the breeders cup win at a grade one. And she got that win last time out in a grade two, no one else really in this field can even come close to that resume. I will say in that last race, she almost got beat by 40 to one bad beat Brian. But as yep. you said that those are also, uh, those are uh, males and this is going back to the Phillies. Um, the one thing, you know, so I start with class on turf races and then obviously because it's only five and a half furlongs with the five and five and a half furlong races, you immediately kind of turn to speed and her prison at speed figures, you know, they're not as eye dropping compared to others. Um, they may be on the Bayer. I haven't looked at the buyer. Uh, and and she had, had not really been like dominant or overwhelming really until the last couple, they, they were kind of outliers, you know, and like that breeders cup race was one that was like, wow, that jumped off the page. She'd never really been close to running a, a speed figure that fast. So it is always a little interesting when there's a horse like this, who's now at six, like, and has a couple of their best ever efforts. True. I, I think the Phillies tend to mature as they get, if we keep them Absolutely in the running, agree. if we keep them racing, uh, you know, that they tend to mature a little bit later. And, and yep. it's not as surprising for me. And when you look at the rest of the field, um, no one's, no one's really caught up to her, except maybe no. the one base storm is where I looked yeah. at. Um, that's kind of where, where else I look. Cause you have some interesting, you have some interesting entries in here and I know it's a big field, but I found it a lot easier to cross a lot of the other ones Out. off. Eliminate. They don't seem like they're up to the, I completely agree with you. That's how I handicapped this race. And honestly, that's why I, I ended up on the same horse you were just talking about. If you're, if you're trying to gamble on this race and bet like, who's the value, who feels like the horse who's in the spot, who's playable at their price. I think it would be Bay storm. If you're playing this race from a, uh, doubling down, right? You know, if you're using one or two horses in this race or who do I bet to win it? Can we get five to one ish on base storm? You start going through this mare's races and you know, she doesn't really have a bad race at all on her page. And you start diving into them. She was second back at, uh, well, she, she wins going five and a half furlongs at Monmouth. Then she goes six and a half at Kentucky. She's second beaten a nose that day to a horse named camp and yell. Who's very, very nice. And then she's off for a few months. She shows back up in uh, at Gulfstream Park. 
She runs in the megahertz at Santa Anita. She loses to a horse named Quatrell. And Quatrell, since that race, won back-to-back graded stakes races and then just finished second in the Wilshire. So she lost to a really nice horse who's very, very sharp. And then in the, the most recent race, Colin, Baystorm just couldn't get by a wire-to-wire winner in Freedom Flyer. I I can really talk myself into her because she she seems like class-wise, she's one of the, the top in this field. Um, as you were mentioning, it's not the strongest group, even though it's a, a big field. Yeah, and what I like about Bay Storm that you didn't mention was cutting back. You know, that Kentucky Downs race, that races at Kentucky Downs at six and a half are really like seven furlong races. Same Uh, down the hill in Santa Anita too, right? Where she came from last time out. They play more like the mile type trips. So she should be really fit in here. Yeah, because that's what you're looking for is that early speed. She's got that inside inside post, whether you like or don't like that in this type of race. I I think it's okay. Um, I think she's going to get out fast. Um, 12 for 13 in the money. Like you said, the six to one price, I was a little surprised to see that. Um, I was also when, with Caravel at four to five, I, I handicapped this before I saw the morning line four to five. I just, I have to yeah. be like a thousand percent sure that I'm going to take a horse at four to five. That's in just a how I sprint I like this them. too. Right. Yeah. In this type of a race where if she's a step slow and then gets behind horses a little bit, like, yeah, that, that's just a little bit too short and, even when you're pointing out with Bay Storm, I agree. Sometimes with horses like this in these big fields, you know, in, in turf sprints, you're worried about the rail. I think with the the positional speed that she has, it doesn't really worry me quite as much. And honestly, another point, she's drawn the rail in three of her last five starts. And the other two times she drew post three. So her last five races in a row, she's been down inside. So she's actually had to work out the same sort of trips that she's going to have to work out here. In fact, she won that race at Monmouth from the rail going five and a half furlongs, sort of sitting that same trip that we're kind of hoping for, huh? That August 7th race. Exactly. And even if you go back to 2021, broke second at Belmont and second, second at Belmont twice, uh, yep. two victories at, you know, six furlongs. So uh, I saw that same thing as you did is the post hasn't been a problem for this horse. So if you're going to go elsewhere, Base Storm would be where I would go. The two, Savage, I didn't think the speed figures were good enough. The three, I think, wants more distance. Yeah. Uh, the four, Sarah Harper, gets Joel Rosario, but only one turf effort, and it was weak, in my opinion, so hard to jump on And this on one's that not in great form either. It sort of feels like they're just kind of taking a shot on the turf, right? She's oh for the last seven. She hasn't really been in great form. Caravel trounced her the only other time on the turf. I couldn't quite get there. No. Yeah, um, then Au Revoir, the eight, that's kind of your five, the one second choice. I just don't think uh, she's fast enough, personally. Yeah, I don't know how good she is. You know, she yeah. won a, a lot of races in a row, kind of against the lower tier turf sprinters. This does seem like a step up. Now, she didn't get a great trip last time out, but I don't know if that was maybe just because those horses are a little faster, right? And, and she might have been a little bit, kind of overwhelmed with how fast they were going early and she just didn't get to sit that kind of cozy trip she sort of packed it in early on um yeah i mean the the nine is is a five-year-old who's only raced five times she's like the kind of fun upside horse i guess she's the the horse who's the the sibling to little mike so she has a really nice pedigree and you know we could see her you know, having upside, but again, she's had some physical issues because she's five years old and she's only raced five times so far. Um, 
but it's it's kind of tough to knock her her recent races again though for looking at speed figures she's going to have to improve if she wants to keep up with some of the best in here yeah that was actually the only other one that i wrote down as possibly and i wrote the same thing that you just said which is the up and comer uh you notice a fifth place finish in that last race but check out the links it was only lost by two lengths and um, so the difference between like second and fifth was not much at all. Honestly, uh, Twilight Greaming won that race by a length and a half. And the, the two through five finishers were separated by a half of a length. And Little Jewel, she probably could have finished second, honestly, in that race. She got us a little bit wide. It wasn't bad. Uh, really wasn't bad, like you said, fifth beat in just a few lengths. So getting through this field, that was... Those were the one, like the, really the only ones I could make that strong of a case for, and it seems like we we're kind of pretty similar. I guess if you're looking for like a bust out long shot, the one who I, I sort of weird because I didn't like the eight a little bit, but if you're looking for a horse more underneath, I actually preferred New Boss because I think New Boss can at least pick up some pieces underneath and maybe pass some some tired horses. But five to one would probably be pretty fair on Bay Storm in this field. Yeah, that's where I go. And if you want to try and look at one more knock on Caravel, this horse has been racing at Keeneland, and some of the success has come there. The one race at Churchill was a sixth-place finish. Now, granted, it was a grade-two turf sprint actually a year ago, right? I yep. assume that was yep. Derby Day. Um, and she went off at three to one. So if you want to play that little, like, hey, maybe she's not going to take to the Churchill turf as well as she did the Keeneland turf, that was another reason where um, I was a little hesitant to accept her at four to five. It's a look at... One of the Friday undercard stakes races on Kentucky Oaks Day. It is the Unbridled Sydney. It's a $300,000 turf sprint. A big thanks to Colin for helping us handicap that one. So, Colin, it's the big weekend. Oaks on Friday, Derby on Saturday. Now, we're still a few days out, so lots of things can change between Tuesday morning when you and I are are talking and on a Saturday evening when this race, uh, the Kentucky Derby, ends up going. But... We've been following along with these horses for a while. Um, talk to us right now as we sit a few days out. Who are some of the horses that are on your radar that are going to be in your exotic tickets, however you're playing? I'm most interested in two, which is Angel of Empire and Derma Sotogake. Um, that's kind of where I've fallen over the last three weeks, and I haven't really changed off of that. I don't think the post position did anything other than if you're going to believe the Ofer seven, uh, the Ofer and the 17 post curse. Um, I don't the thing really about tend, that, which I don't I tend to believe in it with someone about that too. It's just, it'd be different if it was because it was wide, but when 18 and 16 are okay, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just randomly 17. Like it, I, there's nothing really about that post. That's that much of a hindrance. Right. Exactly. And so I, I don't, it's, I'm all good with that. If it'd be great if Dermot Nolly breaks the UAE Derby and the, uh, the UAE streak of not winning, and then also breaks the 0 for 17 streak at the same time. Um, I just think this horse has shown tactical speed. People think that he needs to be really forwardly placed. He doesn't have a ton of speed to his inside. All the early speed has drawn way to the inside. So I think he's going to be able to, you know, work out a nice trip. If you go back, I believe it was two or three back. I made a video on trust the profits where I showed he broke was like five wide. The jockey realized that he pulled him back just enough to slide in. And then he had him quickly speed up. So he didn't uh, check up on the horses that were behind him. And I, he went in, got the rail, and just had a, a tremendous trip. I think, believe that was the race that Continuar was in where he almost got caught. But in that same race, he split two horses coming down the stretch as well. So I just think he, he has that, you know, the courage that you're going to need when you're in a 20-horse field. And I think he's got the tactical speed 
Um, and Angel of Empire to me in the Arkansas Derby was just really impressive. The way he finished out um, going that mile and eighth, he looked strong. He looked um, like the distance wasn't going to be a problem for him. And so those are the two that I've really um, tended to land on. A fade for me is definitely number 10, Practical Move. Another video, I put up all of his race replays. This horse has done a tremendous job getting to the rail and saving ground. Uh, sired by Practical Joke, the one race at the mile and eighth in the Sander Needed Derby, in my opinion, he was going to get caught if it was a little bit longer. Um, so and, take... and both the horses who he finished in front of had worse trips than him, right? He yeah. got that rail trip. And like you said, it was nice. He's done it over and over again, though. And if he's one of the three or four shorter prices, you got to sort of take a stand against one or two of them, right? That you're going to yeah. toss out and whether it's Forte or whoever, whoever it is, That's you got to pick one of yeah. one of these lower horses. I don't love that much. I'm not going to use. And the two that you mentioned, it's really tough to knock what they've been doing recently. You know, Angel of Empire came back after the, the fairgrounds win and showed that it was no fluke when he won at, uh, at Oaklawn. And then Dermasodagake, win, lose, draw in this race. He's definitely going to be on my exotic tickets. This is a serious racehorse. Like, this is a serious horse, like you said. He's not one-dimensional. He's not like a gimmicky speed horse that is just really fast. If some you know, a couple of horses want to go, he's fine sitting back. He can come from way out of it and pass horses if he has to. And we've seen the Japanese horses have really good success all over recently. It's inevitable. It's coming. One of these years, they're going to win this race. They put so much into the breeding, and they take the racing so seriously that, like, this might be the year. He might be the horse. They and what's it's crazy? There could be three if if there's a a scratch or two in the next few days. We could have three Japanese horses uh, in the race this year. Yeah, and Mandarin Hero would be much more interesting to me than um, Continuar. Completely it's agree. also don't put it past you that Lemaire rode in his first Kentucky Derby last year on Crown Pride. So I like the fact that the jockey on Dermasodagake also has got a feel you know, for it. Yes, you know what exactly. I mean. Yes. It's just the whole experience, the track, the 20 horses in that race, how different it is. You know, they talk about um, the Super Bowl and how yeah. different it is than all of the other games for like the warm up for the players, right? I know you're right. a big sports fan. I saw you yelling and screaming yep. at the hockey game the other night. And no, uh, don't I don't want to talk about it. If I was going to say, I don't want to mention it, unfortunately, <laughs> especially for Boston. It hasn't been the greatest couple of days back to back no. with some of those sports fans. But uh, <laughs> it's the same sort of thing, right? The pageantry, the whole hour and nine the 90 minutes between races in the walkover everything's a little bit different and you can probably get you know you sort of start to build it up in your in your mind a little bit when you're out there and you're walking and it's like you've seen this on tv for i'm sure it's a little bit jarring that experience the first time going through it yeah and i so i wouldn't put that ex, that experience that he gained past him remember he went out blistering with that crown pride and hopefully he learned from that as well to not do that to Dermot this year <laughs> Colin, uh, really appreciate it, man. I've had a lot of fun over the last couple months chatting racing with you. Uh, anytime that you ever need any help with any of your shows, feel free to give me a call. Doubling down, any trust the uh, profit stuff. Um, know you do a lot of great work with Matt DeSantis, who I've had the privilege of working with a lot over the last couple years. Um, take the time right now to plug anything and everything you've got coming up this week. Where can we find some of your work, some of the videos that you've uh, that you've had out there? Uh, let it rip. For sure. Well, first and foremost, uh, you mentioned the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl for doubling down this week because we are going to be doing the Oaks Derby. Oh, Bay yeah. Double. Nice. So, the biggest you know, of all. That is the biggest of all. So I really got to put in that extra work. I think the Oaks field is really intriguing and really interesting. So hopefully we can find a price there. Um, and then also we're going to each be on the Trust of Profits 
giving you advice on how we would spend $100. We picked $100 as maybe what people are playing. And uh, we're all going to give you our picks. Matt's coming out uh, on Tuesday with his, El Hombre Wednesday, and mine will be out Thursday. So if you're just looking to play the Derby for 100 bucks, we have that covered for you. If you're looking for Friday, Saturday, uh, like I said, check out Doubling Down. I'm really excited for that episode this week. Yeah, and folks, if you don't uh, follow the Trust the Profit stuff, you really have to. They they have a, like a good time, and they're sharp guys and and gals and everyone that joins the channel over there. Um, like Colin was saying, it's not like uh, like a stuffy broadcast out there. It's the <laughs> format of like friends having a good time talking about the races, like how most of you that are listening are probably enjoying the races and watching uh, the big days with your friends or you're calling and texting them in the group. It's got that feel to it. And that's what yeah, I really like about it. Yeah. And Matt's going to be live Friday and Saturday for all the undercard races on the, on the awesome. channel. So you can join in the chat and, um, and be part of it. Awesome. And, uh, I think you're it- joining too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm always a part of it. I'm I'm awesome. happy to help uh, anytime that you guys need. So thanks again, buddy. Really appreciate it. it. Good luck to you with uh, with all your stuff this week, and uh, we'll be talking to you again real soon. Thanks, Gino. Folks, don't go anywhere. We still have a lot more to cover, so we'll move along on the Friday card. We uh, we head up next from race number eight to race number nine. We're going to talk about the La Troyenne. Make sure to give Colin a follow on social media. He is uh, at Colin. Uh, he is at C. Sheehan, S-H-E-E-H-A-N 45 on Twitter. That's the best place to go. You can uh, check out a lot of his work there. He'll usually post uh, a lot of the great content that he has. So don't go anywhere, folks. We shift to the next race and another guest coming up soon. Big thank you to Colin for helping us out with the eighth race. As we move along to the La Troyenne, we want to remind everyone out there who likes to play sports and likes to wager on sports if you're in the state of iowa you have to go check out drf sportsbook you can use the promo code fast 1000 and it'll get you up to a thousand dollar deposit match use the promo code fast 1000 in the state of iowa with drf sportsbook and someone who works for drf on the horse racing side mary rampolini Mary Rampolini will help us cover the grade one La Troyenne. Mary talks about race number nine on the Churchill Downs undercard, Kentucky Oaks undercard for Friday. We continue along the Friday undercard on Kentucky Oaks Friday. We're at Churchill Downs and we're up to race number nine. Very excited to talk to our next guest from the DRF, Mary Rampolini. Mary uh, has come on this show and has had many conversations with us now through the last couple of years, talking, I think, Oaklawn, Sam Houston, all sorts of different races. Does a great job covering a lot of the Mid-South tracks but overall a really really great reporter fantastic handicapper just keeps us up to date on everything going on with a lot of the tracks that she covers mary thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your time uh, to join us how are you doing oh good Gino. thank you so much for the kind words and thank you for all you do for racing you bring such a great uh enthusiasm for the sport to the table and that and that's fun for all of us that you're excited about it you know it- so and we're all very excited this week, right? This is this is the fun, fun week when we have Friday for the ladies, for the Oaks, and they get the chance to have the spotlight, and Saturday for the Derby, and then all the really good undercard races, and you get to see like some of the best of all of the divisions over the, the next few days. So, so much fun. DRF has great resources from all the different handicappers to help you out, and uh, we're going to dive in and talk about one race that 
came up so strong, Mary. This race that we are going to talk about is a very good renewal of the La Troyenne. And not to not to necessarily disparage last year's version that Pauline's Pearl won, but just to sort of make that comparison, because we we've seen Pauline's Pearl um in this race, won the race last year and was less than two to one in winning. And she's you know, going to be eight ish to one or so, and a little more of an outsider because it's so, so strong this year. Yeah, it's a, a very strong field. And um, yeah, lots of uh, grade one winners, like you said, a chance to see some of these good fillies and mares match up on the road to the Breeders' Cup distaff. And, um, you know, I think the thing that strikes me about this race, Gino, right away is that uh, from Secret Oath's perspective, there's a lot more pace in this race than she had in the apple blossom mm -hmm. where we had a scenario where hot and sultry was loose on the lead that kind of took forced her, out right? of her game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Forced her out of her game. So, so this, I think she'll be able to maybe uh, settle back into her uh, closing off the pace position and, and make her run on, uh, on a racetrack. She's had a lot of big success on, on a long stretch on the Churchill downs course or uh, main track, if you'd like to say that she won uh, the Kentucky Oaks. And and what I think about this race, and I'm I'm curious, is I think it's a big enough field, and it's there are enough solid other uh, horses with good resumes that are proven to where I don't know if she's going to get all that overbet in here. I, I don't compared to some of the favorites we're going to see this weekend, Mary. I mm -hmm. think she actually may offer us some okay value because you were just hitting at she feels like. The race shapes up perfectly for her. She's going to be making the third start off the bench. She's going to have like for the form cycle. She's going to be probably peaking here. She's improved as a four-year-old. She checks so many of the boxes. And mm -hmm. when you just compare her to like a horse like search results who can absolutely win, well, it's going to be her first start of the year. You know, maybe she, she could be better with a race or two and trying to peak a little bit later. It just feels like such a great spot with the, the shape of the race, the timing of the race, all of it kind of coming together for secret oath. Yeah. And, you know, even from a speed figure standpoint, her buyer figure, uh, she'll have the best last race number, best career number last out that one Oh two, uh, that she earned in the apple blossom. So she does have a lot in her favor. She will come back off of Lasix. Uh, those stakes, uh, Lasix, uh, non-Lasix stakes protocols, uh, they were, they're not in place at Oaklawn uh, with the exception of prep races for the Derby and the Oaks. So she was able to run on Lasix. She'll come off of that if, if some people want to take note of that. And maybe some people are interested in, you know, a horse like Pauline's Pearl and, mm -hmm. um, you know, a Mo Rie. <laughs> um, those, those two fillies might get a nice setup here too, maybe from kind yeah. of from a stalking standpoint. So the pace might uh, play in their favor as well, you know? And for Pauline's Pearl, I mentioned her at the beginning cause she won this race last year and she won the Houston ladies classic at Sam Houston, where we've seen some really nice horses win that race through the years. And then she just, it kind of inexplicably didn't really fire. The track was, it came up good at, at Santa Anita. If we can just eliminate that race, it probably just builds value into her, right? Just because of that poor performance. Yeah. And I think you're going to look at the thing, like she's moving back to a mile on the 16th, which will favor her. That's where she's had the bulk of her success. So, you know, she was shortening up last time and now she'll 
she'll move back out a little bit. Yeah, I do believe that's in her favor. And she's a winner here at Churchill, obviously won this race last year. So she's proven on the track. Um, yeah, there's some reasons to make a case for her for sure. I mean, you look at her, I mean, Pauline's Pearl has very quietly made $1.8 million. Yeah. It's always something that amazes me when I'm writing about her and looking at, yeah. her, at her earnings. $1.8 million. That's a lot of money. That's Real, a lot of money. <laughs> really good last couple of years for her. And we, we just hit on a more, uh, Morier who she, this is a Philly who she had some ability. They put her in uh, a, against grade one company early on in the Frisette, but since changing barns and coming into the Brad Cox barn, going from one very good barn, Todd Fletcher to another very good barn. She's even taken steps forward in all of her races. And she's done it at different racetracks too, from fairgrounds to Oaklawn went over to Santa Anita. And she's like, she's visually not the, the most impressive, but she is tough. She just sort of keeps coming and keeps kind of grinding at you. You're right. She could get a, a good setup in here too. Just sitting a little bit off. Yeah, and I think she comes in with a lot of confidence. You know, she's she's gone from the, you know, uh, the listed race to the grade three race in the Bayacoa back up to that grade one level in the Beholder Mile. So they've kind of brought her along, and she's got to be coming in with a with a lot of confidence off those three straight wins. The so, horse she yeah. ran down um, last time out, too, is named Fun to Dream. And Fun to Dream is a little more of a sprinter, you know, okay. like, a, and, and she yeah. is sharp. She had won four races in a row. So fun to dream, got the jump on a Morier, got about a two length advantage. And, and she ran her right down on the square. Um, she's, she's doing really well. That's what makes this race so fun in that secret oath for sure is the most accomplished. She's the most decorated and with her best race, she will win this race. And it does look like it set up, it sets up for her, but if she does not run her best race, there are many horses in here that could jump up and win. You know, we hit on a few of them. A horse like Society absolutely has the speed to run away and hide from a group if, if she can. Mm -hmm. um, she, she was only four to one in the Breeders' Cup Distaff last year. And we can probably make a little bit of an excuse for her in her first start since that race in the Madison when she lost to Goodnight Olive, your Breeders' uh -uh. Cup Philly and Mare Sprint winner. Yeah, yeah, no shame there in losing to the champ. So. No. Um, I first start off the bench, like you said, and you know, the distaff was her first start against older horses too. So, um, she's coming out with a lot of uh, things to look forward to this season. And certainly that gun runner has had a tremendous year with his, uh, a tremendous run really with his offspring. So they're probably horses that'll even get a little better as they get older, as was the case with him. So really good group that that lined up i mean you have a sharp horse like classy edition who's won a couple races in a row and gets gets the acid test here but um it does does feel like the the horse to beat is secret oath they'll all have to hold her off the pace should be very very honest and uh doesn't he continues to get uh a year older but he is still uh exuberant and he still has some very very good horses does d wade lucas yeah, I think uh, Mr. Lucas is about 87 now. And, you know, I thought it was cute going into the Apple Blossom when I was interviewing him for the race. He said, you know, I watched Secret Oath's race this morning just to pump me up her her, her Zary. So <laughs> that's I just great. That was that was that's important. He, he uh, he's very excited about her, of course, all season long. He has been so when if you ever are doing something and you and like you stop feeling that way there's a problem and I don't think he's ever going to stop feeling that way. 
He's that's just one well of those. said, Gino. Yes, that's right? a very good insight. Yes, that's you know, that's sometimes... real. And I think so many of us in racing are that way, you know, so. That's why we, that's why we do it. You get those, you get those feels, you get those goosebumps. You love waking up early in the morning. Otherwise you you, you really wouldn't do it. And uh, it's, I I really do love seeing when the good horses that are younger like this, take a nice step forward. Like it really looks like she has, she had a good year at, at three. She was obviously your Oaks winner. And then towards the end of the year, it felt like she was tailing off a little bit, or maybe some of the others kind of caught up to her. But it felt like a few months off and starting the year over, and she's she's had a very very nice start to uh, to twenty twenty three. Yeah, and again, just talking like you said, Mister Lucas's optimism all season for her, even prior to her racing, he'd been very high on her uh, on how she had been transitioning from three to four is what I mean to say. So he was looking forward. We're seeing on the track what what he felt uh, we would be seen, you know. So. She had a tough campaign. She faced the boys a couple times, you know. She was in the mm-hmm. Arkansas Derby and in the Preakness, and now she's been able to grow up and really develop, and uh, she's going to be very tough there in what, what's a, a great race. You love seeing big fields like this because when she wins this race, she's going to have earned it, and she's going to have defeated a, a, a nice group of fillies and mares in here in the La Troyenne. That's going to go as race number nine on Friday. For all of your handicapping needs, you head to drf.com. For If you want just want daily uh, past performances, they'll have the DRF full packages coming out for the Kentucky Derby with the clocker reports, with everything you need, lots of different write-ups, betting strategies. So no excuses for anyone come Derby time because we have all the help that we need, Mary. So where where are you sort of landing? Who are a couple horses that are on your radar for the big one? Yeah, and I'm enjoying all the resources, like you said, that the racing form has, the, the clocker reports from Mike Welsh and, and the reports from folks on the grounds. Um, I, I think, you know, Gino, I, I don't like the post my horses drew, but I'm I'm excited about Forte and I'm excited about verifying. I've been looking forward to seeing verifying uh, run, uh, for quite some time, uh, hoping he'd make the Derby, I guess I should say, following him along and really hoping he'd get in. I, I, I wish he was maybe further outside than the two hole I believe he's in. And then I know Forte's in the 15 hole, which, uh, I guess is not terrible, but, but those are my only, my hiccups, but those are my one too. The, who do you like, Gina? The, yeah. Verifying is a horse who I think is really under the radar. I think he's uh, going to be a little too dismissed because, that Oaklawn race, he had some sneaky trouble in, you know, he really mm-hmm. did. He kind of got shuffled back. He never really got a chance to run. And then his race was very, very good last time out. I can see him being the type of horse that could keep himself out of some of the trouble if if the inside doesn't do it to him, right? With his running style, yeah. if he's able to get out of there fine and maybe sit and either be forwardly placed or sit just behind and keep himself out of some of that traffic. I've always been very high on him. Um, personally, I actually am in a, uh, a fantasy horse racing league with that drafts early in January and it, it's <laughs> a, a year long league. And I have verifying as one of my horses on my, oh. on my team. So I'm rooting, you know, you know, it's funny. I actually have both of the horses. Forte was the one I spent up big because you have to pay big money, but verifying was one of my first draft picks. So Mary, I hope you are spot on because those <laughs> I will be getting big points in mine. Um, I, I don't have anything to really dismiss about Forte. I oh, think no. for me, yeah. uh, um, for me this year, I didn't have so strong of an opinion that I'm actually willing to include Derma Sotagake this year. I think it might be the type of year where a horse like this can come in 
and he's seasoned. He's tested. We've got a chance to see some of his versatility. He's reportedly looking great. And I, and I think he, he's kind of interesting. I've been warming up a little to two fills also. I think that would be a really cool story. I think he's a little more than a synthetic horse too. So those are a couple that are uh, on my radar. No, definitely. And you know, I liked, uh, you know, um, Sun Thunder was interesting. I thought maybe for a price yes. horse for some folks. Sun Thunder might be a horse they want to pay attention to a little bit. If so. you're someone that watches replays and trips, go back and watch the last few from Sun Thunder. He, especially in the Louisiana Derby, he was buried behind Disarm. And people kind of talk about the traffic that Disarm ha- ran into, but that was like a domino effect for Sun Thunder. He was never let run there, and he's had some really sneaky trouble. He's a very, very, at the very least, uh, an under horse for me, Mary. And I'm going to mm-hmm. throw him into a few because it, it would be really fun to be alive in one of those pick four, pick fives and have a horse like Sun Thunder, who's going to be a <laughs> massive price, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to be an interesting horse for, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching him run as well, you know? So he's one of those, there's a lot of horses. We just, we're going to see where they're at and hope they get clean trips and hope we get some clear answers on this three-year-old group, but certainly going in Forte is the man, you know? So Mary, you do such a great job covering all of the tracks. And like I say, I've, I've got you on like notifications and I got your articles always because you, you give me a heads up before the races come on what's happening or what, what some of the connections feel like or why they've made decisions. And it's really helpful to me as a handicapper, because I think the more, you know, it's just going to help you the more, you know, and, uh, and mm-hmm. you definitely help me know more all the time and, uh, all, all those great folks at the DRF. So We'll be really excited to uh, to check out all the resources you have. And uh, is there anything that you want to mention or anything you want to promote coming up this week? Uh, well, we're, well, we're looking forward to the big races. I can tell you everybody at the Racing Forums are working very hard to put together a lot of content that's going to be a lot of fun for people to read. And as you mentioned so kindly, Gino, useful, you know, what – what can you glean from it that you can't maybe pull off of the black and white past performances? So, you know, that's what we're trying to do is give that information to people uh, behind the scenes and, and some more insight from the connections. So, like you said uh, so kindly, that's, you know, that's helpful for, for handicappers. And, and that's, you'll see a lot of that coming up this week. So You can find a lot of Mary's work at drf.com. A lot of great articles there, insight, selections, uh, DRF picks for different tracks and, um, and you can follow her on Twitter, also DRF Rampolini. Mary, thank you so much. I know it's a busy, busy week. I really appreciate your time. It's always such a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I, I can't wait to talk with you again real soon. Uh, Gino, I enjoyed it, and, and you're making me look forward to the races. It was fun talking to you. Thanks so much, folks. Do not go anywhere. We have a lot more ground to cover on Friday. We're getting closer and closer to that main event for Friday for the Kentucky Oaks. Up next, it's the Edgewood. Big thank you to Mary for helping us out with the La Troyenne. For all of you fans of fantasy sports, check out thrivefantasy.com or download the Thrive Fantasy app. You can play in daily contests or you can wager on props and you can combine props into parlays that will actually pay out better than if you played parlays on other sites. If you're in the state of California, if you're in the state of Texas, you can play legally with Thrive Fantasy. And if you sign up and deposit at least 25 all the way up to 250, it'll give you a match deposit bonus with a four-time rollover. Just use that promo code GINO, G-I-N-O. 
thrivefantasy.com if you like to get some action on the games. You can play parlays for as little as a dollar all the way up to a thousand with these prop parlays. Trust me, once you play uh, on this site for a few days, you're going to love it. It's a great way to get a little bit of action on the games and have some extra fun, especially if you're someone who plays props. Thrivefantasy.com, promo code G-I-N-O. We move to race 10 on Friday. It's the grade two Edgewood. Mile and a 16th on the turf for three-year-old Phillies. Sarah L. Bodwe joins to talk about the grade two Edgewood on the Friday Oaks undercard. We keep rolling along the Friday card. We are on the undercard for Kentucky Oaks Friday, and we're up to race number 10. It's a good one. It's the grade two Edgewood. It's a turf route for three-year-old Phillies, and we have a friend of the show who's joined us many times before, someone who's doing really, really well working over with the NYRA. We've seen her up on the the uh, the screen a few times now, and in the last couple of years, Sarah, it's been really, really good for you just um, seeing you all over the place on different shows and now doing great, great work on NYRA. How are things going over there for you? Oh, I'm definitely all over the place. Uh, things are going really well. Thank you, Gino, for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to chat racing with you. And uh, yes, things are going pretty well over at Naira. We just moved to Belmont Park that'll be opening up later this week. So we have a lot going on and lots of exciting stuff to look forward to, particularly these Derby Day and Oaks Day undercards. Yeah, and you guys have some big races out there this week, so we'll be paying attention to you, and we always try to follow along with your selections. Uh, you're always so gracious with posting those and giving great analysis. So let's dive into the uh, the Edgewood. We'll talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get some thoughts on the Derby. Really contentious race here, and it's an important one if you're someone who plays a lot of the multi-race exotics because this will be a race leading right into the Oaks on Friday. And just from like a starting point in this race, there are a couple really sharp fillies who have faced each other a few times in a row. I think a horse who will probably take a lot of money in here is Cairo Consort. Sarah, she's super honest. She's tough to knock. She's just not one of those horses you love to bet because she's usually a short price and she's just not the sexiest to play, but she really always fires. She does. And those are some really big performances coming out of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf where she was able to finish third at a bit of a price that day and meditate, obviously, just much the best in that field. But so far as a three-year-old, she had those two wins and the second of which was such a huge effort because she just walked out of the gate and for her to still come running and, and get up in the, in the shadow of the wire there was just such an impressive effort. And then following that, it made a ton of sense that she would be as short of a price as she was going into the Here Comes the Bride stakes where Dance Macabre was able to upset. And now Papilio has gotten the better of her two times in a row. Mm -hmm. So even though she's going to be a short price yet again, she's not going to be the shortest price. And I just don't know that you want to take her at a short price over a horse that's been able to get the best of her two times in a row now. And, and yep. what would be yep. a differentiator for her to turn the tables on that rival to her outside? Yeah. And Papilio, you know, and just watching the races, she seems like she's a little quirky, which sometimes means like there might even be more upside with her. Um, she may even be able to sort of take another step or two forward. So she's very honest and those two will take a lot of money. But as I mentioned, Cairo consort, isn't one that 
you, you look at a race like this and you think, okay, I want to play her at about three to one. Who are some of the horses that were on your radar horses that you might throw into a pick four or uh horses who you're looking at in this spot? Well, I think if you're trying to beat both of these favorites and, and I do think they're both legitimate, I think you'd want to ideally look for a horse that's going to be more forwardly placed. And I think that might attract several people to the number 10 horse, yep. uh, flashy, gem for brad cox but at the same time you're also dealing with a horse to her inside in the number eight heavenly sunday who's going out for the same trainer so are these two really going to cancel each other out on the front end it's highly unlikely that that would be the plan so i get where some people may have an interest in one of those two but i don't know that they really class up so for me I was actually looking all the way towards the outside with the number 11 Revelita for the Chad sure. Brown barn, one who was able to finish fourth in her first start in the United States in that here comes the bride stakes. And she was at the back of the pack while everybody else was at least a little bit more close to the pace that was fairly honest in there. And she was the one coming from furthest out of it, kind of getting into a little bit of that three horse photo with them and finishing fourth just by about a length or so. And I think that she's just one that will have room to improve going out for this barn for the second time in the United States. Another thing that I like about her, too, is that with Papilio, we are seeing her kind of lug in mm -hmm. in her races towards the end in the stretch. And at least from the post positions, uh, Revelita will be to her outside. And if yeah. things stay that way, she hopefully gets to save herself um, from being involved in any sort of traffic with that situation were it to occur once again. So she's the one that I had some interest in. And getting five to one for this barn is uh, kind of a good price if you think about it. Well, yeah. And if you're using the two Papilio and Cairo consort who we feel like are, are good, they're honest and they're a good measuring stick, at least for this race. Well, we know Revelita has, was right there in the first start since September has a lot of room to move forward off of that effort and will offer you a little bit better value than either one of those. So like we said, if we don't know how the pace may work out, um, I, I would agree with you. I think it comes down to the, the Cox horses, you know, between the eight and the 10 and, and maybe the 10 is a little more forwardly placed. Like I definitely would throw in flashy gem in, in exotics, like pick fours and pick fives, just for that reason. If she gets out front, she could be tough, but from an, in a win standpoint and for like a major candidate in here, if Revelita is around five to one, that just feels like a really fair price for her in this race with a lot of upside. I agree. And I think I like her most out of the others for this barn with Chad Brown, having two other horses in here, but just because I think she's faced the best competition so far. And she has the higher figures than either of them who are a little bit more in the low buyer range. Um, she also has that international credential to her as well. Okay, Sarah, that was a, a look at one of the undercard races on Kentucky Oaks Day. But after months and months of watching prep races and piling into it, we now know what the draw looks like for the Derby. The fields are set and the morning line odds are out. Now, you and I are recording this on Tuesday, so we're still a few days out from the Derby. And a lot of things can change between now and then and weather and, and different things. But right now, uh, as you, you stand a few days out, who are some of the horses that you like and you'll be using in some of your derby exotics? 
Well, it's no secret that I have a little bit of an interest in confidence game who drew uh, post number four and I get the reservations with a horse that hasn't raced in quite some time having his last start be that win in the Rebel on a wet track and coming in and training up until the Kentucky Derby is not a move that we generally see be successful, but At the same time, I also understand they're wanting to be a little bit more cautious with him. And it has been said by them that they do have an interest in running in all three Triple Crown races. So if you're bringing a fresh horse into that scenario, I think that that makes some more sense. And the Lexington is so such a short gap of time until the Kentucky Derby. So I also understand not wanting to put your horse in there if they already have the points to get themselves into the Derby gate. And one of the things I like the most about him is just that I feel as though he will be forwardly placed if the pace does not develop. And I think there's a lot of questions about the pace this year. Unlike last year where we saw those blistering fractions that set things up for a closer like Rich Strike, I don't think we're going to see the same pace scenario this year. I think things are going to be certainly much more moderate than they were last year. So I want a horse that I think can get the distance that has defeated some sort of talented rivals so far that have either gone on to run better races or had better races before that, such as horses like Verifying, Reincarnate, even Red Route 1, who isn't going to the Derby, did eventually come back to win. And I just think that he is moving in the right direction, coming in fresh and, and going to be sitting a decent trip pending he gets out of the gate well, whereas some other shorter prices that might be more talented than him, will have to weave through traffic and deal with more of those questions, uh, whether they'll get through in this 20-horse field. So that's kind of where I'm leaning, and and I know it's a little bit of a reach, but I also know that it's going to be a very fair price for me to find out about him. This is the year that I've had the least strong opinion that I've had in a derby for the last decade. And so with people legitimately looking at Derma Sotogake with a chance with people legitimately giving up. Like there's no one that scares me so much that a horse like confidence game fresh couldn't run really well in here. Like this just feels like a year where some trends might get bucked and we, you always want to be ahead of the trend before because then it starts happening and it becomes more of a common and then people are less scared off of it. And your prices go down and down and down and you're going to be very well rewarded for a horse, like you said, who has some versatility, who will probably be fresh and close up. But if they go really quick, it's not like this horse needs the lead at all. We've seen a horse sit off the pace. We've seen a horse that if it's wet, like it might be on Friday and that carries over a little bit, this horse won't have a problem with that. You have a big price with options. Some uh, articles recently came out from uh, talking to trainer Keith DeSormo, and he feels like he really got to the bottom of this horse with some strong works. Like you had said, there were, they initially may have had some slightly different plans, but then I think with travel and then they thought about, would we rather have a fresh horse or a horse over the top for the Derby? I'd rather have a fresh horse, you know, then, Oh, like you said, if you want to run them in a lot of these races, so everybody's got to take a shot on these days and you're taking a nice one with confidence game. I like it, Sarah. I like it. Um, <laughs> The only one I've had any confidence in so far, so (laughs) I gotta stick with them. Good. Um, Okay. Now, what do what's your schedule like coming up this week? What can we expect? Do you do they tell you when you're going to be on, or do you sort of just kind of uh, pop up here and there? 
what what's it like for you and uh, what other kind of work will you have as far as Derby Week content, anything that we can follow along with? Yes, thankfully there is some advance notice when I'm going Good. to be uh, handicapping for anything on air with Myra. So um, I will actually be on Talking Horses this week on Sunday after the Derby, awesome. uh, helping everyone uh, get over their Derby hangover with a little Belmont Park action. Um, and then my next America's Day at the Races will be, I think, the day before the Preakness, as far as I know right now. So um, lots coming up. But, I mean, we are on every single day this week going forward. We had a show today, Tuesday, that we're recording as a, we have shows Wednesday through Sunday and then coming up on a Thursday through Sunday type of schedule. So there's there's always something going on. Sarah, keep up the great work over there. Uh, good crew over there. So do you work directly with or do you interact with Tony a lot or at all? Or uh, do you know him? Uh, I've met Tony. Uh, we, yes, we don't uh, interact too, too much yet. Um, but he seems great so far. And uh, definitely looking forward to spending some more time getting to know him. He is uh, he is around. He was my uh, my boss early on at, at TVG years back. So we, uh, uh, yeah, oh, I, awesome. I, I, I had a lot of fun with him. He he was good. He was he was very supportive of me, like helping me get up too. So always got along really well with him and a lot of the crew over there uh, was uh, former people that I worked with at TVG, even in front of yeah. the camera and yep. uh, and behind the camera. So um, good crew over there, and uh, the crew got even better once they added you, Sarah. Keep up the fantastic well, work. Um, and you cover so many races, you help people out, like all the stuff that you cover and you post out there is free to help people. And you're always so nice and interactive on social media, unless it doesn't, well, I'm nice it, to you. <laughs> well, unless it doesn't deserve being nice in the situation, which is what I like, right? You're, you're going to be real mm -hmm. to someone. So that's, what's absolutely great about it. We're in a fun business with, uh, with picking horses all the time. And, you you have really just come right in and uh, and and been a fantastic ambassador for the sport over the last couple of years. We're very lucky to have you anytime you have a, a few minutes to come and help us out. So so thank you again. Thank you, Gina. Always a pleasure to be on. I appreciate the kind words. So good luck to you this week at Churchill uh, over at Naira with all of your plays, and we'll be watching you on Sunday. Uh, get some of your post race thoughts on the Derby and reflect on everything that went down over the big weekend. Make sure to give Sarah a follow. You can check out a lot of her work on social media. She's really active and she does a good job on Twitter at outrun the odds, posting a lot of her work, letting you know where she is. And uh, you'll, uh, you'll always be able to, uh, to stay up to date with a lot of her work by following along there. So Sarah, good luck again this weekend. And thank you so much. Thank you. Don't go anywhere, folks. We got the main event coming up next for Friday. It's the Kentucky Oaks. We'll dive into that field. Thanks again to Sarah for helping us out with race number 10. Thank you to Sarah for helping us out with the Edgewood. One more race to go, the Kentucky Oaks. Before we get there, want to let you know one of the sponsors of That's What G Said, sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A, candles.com, all natural soy wax, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. Just use that promo code G-I-N-O. This is a great gift. If you know someone that likes to burn candles, let them know these are better for them. They're healthier for them. No toxins with that soy wax. SarahCandles.com. We move into the main event for Friday, race number 11. It's the Kentucky Oaks. And Emily Gullickson, our friend from Optics EQ, she does work all over the place and great work everywhere that you, you find her stuff. She helps us talk about each filly in the field. The Grade 1 Kentucky Oaks preview 
coming up now. Okay, it's time to talk about the main events. Let's start with the Kentucky Oaks. We are very lucky to have our friend Emily Gullickson from Optics EQ, one of the busiest people in all of racing, covers uh, so many different tracks and does such a fantastic job doing it. And Emily always comes and helps us out on these big days, talking about the biggest races, getting a chance to talk about most of these horses in the fields. Emily, we know about a lot of these horses now for the Oaks and for the Derby. How's your uh, your week going? We're talking really early in the week, Tuesday morning right now, week of the Oaks and the Derby. Yeah, it, everything is going well. Again, Dan, thank you for having me. I mean, it's just such an exciting time of year. We are talking early, so it is, I guess, worth noting, especially with an also eligible winning last year, that things, <laughs> yep. could still, could, that things could still change between now and then, but we had the draw yesterday, which was Monday. We're talking here on Tuesday morning, and, um, you know, it, it, we should be following this development, right? Like I saw a tweet this morning from Mike Welsh, one of the clockers out there that hadn't seen practical move or confidence game and just kind of reported that that was like a little odd so that's something I've just been kind of following because whether they're you know your picks or not there are horses that could certainly impact the race or impact Mm -hmm. the way that the the odds are so yeah I'm glad that you mentioned that we are talking early as we're going through this because we have a lot of information with the races being drawn. We know these horses are who they are. We've been following them almost for a year in some cases. But um, yeah, there's still there's still a lot that can happen between now and race day. They're still uh, creatures, right? It's not like we're playing uh, simulations here on the the video game, right? In the next few days, that these are the days right before where things get very anxious, and that the final preparation leading when all these horses are coming in from different places, not necessarily in their home base. Um, So stuff gets tricky. We're going to do our best to help make sense of all of it for you that are listening. And we're going to start with the Kentucky Oaks. And what I I noticed, Emily, and when uh, when we finish up, we'll we'll get a chance to talk about all of the stuff you've got going on this week and you can plug everything that you have going and all all the work that you're doing. Um, what handicapping this race overall, this is one thing I I really notice when we talk and in hearing you talk about races, especially in big races like this. What generally happens is you'll get a lot of horses that were good in their in their local circuits that were the best of their uh their local contingents. But a lot of those times those horses have like those forwardly placed running styles where they get to sit really nice, cozy trips, like just off the pace. And then they'll come together in a race like the Oaks or the Derby or the Breeders' Cup races, and there'll be bigger fields. And you'll have a lot of the horses in the field all wanting to do the same thing. And you know that everybody can't. It's just there's no way everyone can sit that same sort of trip. It feels like there are a lot of horses who want to just be tracking a few lengths off, not too far off the lead. And Something's got to give in here because they can't all do that. Yeah, it's so interesting. You brought up like so many good points and so many kind of tropes and things that we'll fall we'll fall into because some people just kind of throw all their handicapping out the window when it goes or handicapping process out the window when it comes to the Oaks and Derby trying to just do something like completely crazy. And certainly these races have have their elements of unknowns. But, you know, you mentioned the trip of a lot of the horses that or even like the jockeys that are interviewed, I want to sit second or third, yep. or like they go to the post draw. And really? like they all want to, they all want to <laughs> draw in the middle of the gate, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah. But Out you of know trouble. What? 
there's only a few of you that can because it doesn't you know it doesn't all it doesn't all work that way so you know as we're as we're approaching this race i think it is important to just kind of like in some ways go back to your basics right just go back to uh handicapping pace handicapping form speed class you know especially with these lightly raced horses like how form being key like how are they developing are they coming into the race of their career where as you mentioned you know coming out of those circuits and maybe even favorable trips they're able to step up or they're able to show a different dimension. They're able to do something new. They're able to hold their form and then how it translates to the complexion of this field. Right. So, you know, I think for the Oaks, especially pace, pace is going to be key because you have a lot of horses. I was I think that what you were leading with is those horses that want to sit one or two, you don't really have that true front running type. So obviously mm-hmm. somebody's, somebody's going to, going to have to go and be on the lead. And, you know, a bunch of horses kind of bunching up or taking back, maybe that assists a horse that can get first run or can be forwardly placed. And especially in this case, because you're talking about wet paint, number seven, who is going to be the favorite coming into this race, who we know her running style as well, which is completely the opposite coming from off the pace and how much luck and how much racing luck is required for a horse to come from off the pace. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think pace is key and along with form, looking at those two elements in combination as sort of the prime handicapping factors of the Oaks. So let's start taking a look at the uh, the contenders in here from the inside out. Emily, the first horse there is uh, Mimi Kakushi, who we've not seen since winning the UAE Oaks back in February. And she was able to sit just off going to wear down that rival eventually. And that was her third consecutive win. Do you think that form will transfer over at all? Is this Philly on your radar? Yeah. I mean, I think that is kind of the big question and I haven't seen her work as much as I have seen some of the other, you know, uh, derby type horses, but as far as what she's done on the track, she's been very professional physically looks okay. Maybe she's a little bit kind of on the, the lighter, smaller kind of has that like European, you know, very light type build look to her, but, but no knocks that is who she is, but drawing the rail, I, you know, that, that can be tricky because she has been pressing outside of horses. They're on the inside here. They're going to have to use for position. Now, there is a scenario that uh, Barcelona, who's very familiar with her, is able to, especially if not a lot of them go, to kind of angle out early and sit in that pressing trip and give them their best chance. But, you know, you kind of have those type of question marks is, is she good enough? Is she going to be able to transfer her form? Giving up recency as well, you know, we talked about the layoff of confidence game. She's another one that hasn't raced in 77 days. So giving up recency where she has a lot of unknowns um, in a spot that's probably the toughest race she's had to run thus far. So we have a couple that are exiting the Fairgrounds Oaks, and they were the top finishers there, the Alice Look. We have Pretty Mischievous. We also have Southlawn, who won that race. The Alice Look kind of kind of a, a weird trip, had a good start, but just really didn't go on with it, which is kind of surprising because Luis Saez is usually a pr- pretty aggressive rider. Um, they kind of backed up to last in that small field, so ended up being sort of wide in a small field, which wasn't the most beneficial trip, I thought, for her that day. She was a winner two starts back of the Silver Bullet day where she did get one of those soft trips that we're talking about, just sitting right off the lead, able to kind of move when she wanted, got the jump on Chop Chop. What do you think about uh, the Alice look? And I guess maybe we can hit on the other uh, fairgrounds runners uh, after they're all sort of coming out of that same race. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good approach. I mean, as far as that, as far as Alex Alex looks, she kind of had that every other pattern where she was sort of running a top 
you know, and not every other, just as far as speed figures, but she also had those favorable trips, breaking her maiden where she was pretty much all out to do so, um, despite being clear by open length. Sometimes that doesn't show on paper and then got a very favorable trip in the silver bullet day, just as far as an individual kind of following that circuit, doing notes there, watching her as an individual, um, just doesn't seem like she's on the class level of her rivals. Um, another one that, that as far as trip has to be, uh, kind of forwardly placed. It's a little bit on the smaller side. So again, I, I would say class is probably the big question and maybe even not even as fast. Now, as far as the winner of the race, South Juan, um, she really hadn't shown much up until the point. I know they had some intention with her um, running in the Pocahontas as a juvenile, but really exploded in her two most recent races. Speed figure wise, she projected as far as my visuals to regress um, off the, allowance win back on February 27th. And to some extent she did number wise, despite getting the win, but again, had that very favorable, perfect pocket trip in a five horse field where, um, caught a horse in Hoosier Philly. That just doesn't seem like she's quite the same and probably caught, um, pretty mischievous, not on her best day either, where she was coming off a top effort back on February 18th, running a big race that day. And pretty mischievous, had some trouble at the start. And again, it was probably not in the where she kind of lost her footing coming out of the gate. It might not have been at her best. So I, I you know, I think that might have um, it kind of upgraded South Lawn a little bit off those last two races. And pairing tops in those two most recent starts, she's going to have to continue to kind of hold that form, validate that form probably going to be a shorter price in the Oaks than she was in both those races and transfer her form back to Churchill Downs, which going back to her two races at Churchill Downs, um, arguably her worst well. races. Yeah. No, she did not. She did not. So, I mean, you're making the case that she's a completely different horse or, you know, whatever. So I, I have a lot of concerns for her. That she kind of feels like she's sort of the now horse. That's going to, that's going to get some buzz. And if I'm, if I'm looking at anybody out of that race, I would give pretty mischievous, the look, though, I have some questions with her kind of overall, but she at least one should be sitting on a peak effort in a third start of reform cycle, has run fast and has some tactical speed finishing ability and Gaffleon sticks around on her. Yeah, she had that little bit of a, a she had that stumble at the start. She ended up sitting a, a pretty nice trip too. kind of she got the trip that she wanted. But like in just like you following these horses and in playing them, it did really feel like that was a race where she might've been over the top a little bit, just in her form cycle. Like she did run that really big race in the Rachel coming off that good race in the untappable. And that was just back to back, like strong races for her, her two best sort of like what you were saying with South lawn. Like you expect now them to regress a little bit and maybe for pretty mischievous, maybe there's a race that she can get back to with the blinkers coming on. Maybe she'll be a little bit sharper. Gaff Leone's been, had been running really, really well so far. So yeah, there's some positive there with, uh, with pretty mischievous. Who's going to be sitting way out wide. We go to a gambling girl who comes out of the gazelle last time out and we can sort of do the same thing. She was behind promise her America. So promise her America sat that same sort of trip, sitting pretty comfy, but I will say, after sitting that nice trip, she did sort of put away some of the speed and then have to hold off a couple challengers. Um, Promise Her America is lightly raced with a little bit of upside too. One of those challengers she held off was Gambling Girl, who was last and who had to angle way, way out wide in that six-horse field and uh, try to come run in late. And so those two exit the gazelle. What do you think about their chances in here? 
Yeah, I mean, as far as as far as optics grades, which kind of gives kind of like an overall performance, both those horses earning Bs, so it's tough to separate just kind of that one effort. I have a hard time being like where that that race came from, Promise Her America, because it it was extremely good, but it was so much faster, um, twelve mm-hmm. points faster than her previous top, which was a second place finish in her second start back in January. So it's not even like we have those, you know. Oh, she improved off her juvenile form. As far as gambling girl, she just has a little bit more foundation. She's a little bit more consistent. She was able to bring her game out to Oakland Park. That was a good effort, B-minus optics grade. Where she broke slow, she finished a blanket for minors in that fourth place finish. I think the thing for gambling girl, she's very honest. She's very proven. She's very... Um, you know, she's she's been tested. She kind of has that right running style. She's going to get first run on wet paint on some of these front running types. Most likely, I guess it all depends on the ride. Um, you know, is she is she good enough? I, I suppose like on her best day, I think really what it is, is there could be a lot of horses in here that just you know, get money and maybe she's one that ends up getting lost and she wouldn't be any surprise. It's just kind of one of those where it's like maybe they're not the best, but they end up getting the right trip and you go back and you go, yeah, she certainly fit. She was fast enough. She's in form. She has the foundation. Um, and, and I kind of jumping around a little bit, but affirmative lady kind of being the same way, right. Where there's really no race. You can, you can really knock on her, mm-hmm. um, been consistent, has, you know, has the proven form, has that running style where she has some versatility. Maybe she's not quite as fast. Maybe she's not quite as good. But those factors could just be enough on the day. And that is Gambling Girl. We were talking about her and Promise Her America exiting the Gazelle. We get to last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies winner, Wonder Wheel, who just was able to make it into this race um, based on, uh, I think, a couple defections. So she's only run twice this year. In her first start, she was beat by a big, big long shot in the Sun Coast. That that was her first start uh, since November, and it was back in February. She came back in the Ashland. She was in the third flight. She was kind of inside behind horses. She goes blocked a little bit. She wanted to go. She didn't have a whole lot of room, but she tipped outside, and she just didn't really have much yet at all uh, when they tipped out with her. But she does get in this this spot, and she has run well at Churchill. She just seems like one of those two-year-olds. We haven't seen her progress really at three. Do you think she has a big enough race to come back here? Is she is the price going to be okay enough to use? What do you think about Wonder Wheel? And after we hit Wonder Wheel, you know, she's in the Ashland. She's beat by Defining Purpose. Julia Shining was in there and is uh, on the also eligibles list. Okay. Yeah. So, so starting with Underwheel. Yeah. I mean, I give, I give her a big, a big look in this race because she does have that foundation from a juvenile. She has the form here at Churchill Downs. Um, she was progressive last year as a juvenile going all the way up, probably got a little bit softer trip as far as the Breeders' Cup Phillies, but they, they reset her as far as coming up short in the Sun Coast. She still ran a good race. She actually ran an improving optics figure mm-hmm. for that race running at a 93, um, which does kind of stack up in here. It's not really a standout number like in this field, but there's really no standout numbers. I think 95 is maybe the highest. So she's kind of like, right, you know, she's kind of right there. Um, with with that group um but then i mean as far as i think she is going to offer value off of the off the ashland because yeah, you know the note the note is the notes really confusing because it does say traffic as you mentioned wide and and all that but then the extended comment um as far as the person that's taking notes out at keelan just said you know it was not her trip today never found the comfort zone so you know it's one of those where it's like if i just can 
say, okay, it wasn't their day. Just eliminate it. Draw draw a line through that race for whatever yep. reason. Every other race completely stacks up in here. She's consistent. She has versatility. They can run on the lead. They can pass horses. Um, you know, now has the foundation. She's in the third start, coming back in 28 days. The rider change to Rosario could be a positive, and it could also be one of those factors that keeps value because everyone will say, oh, Gaffleon's going, you know, going elsewhere, and it's been a regular rider where the rider change, especially on a horse like this, could be good for Rosario because he's one of those riders that he could often change the run style of a horse, sometimes for the right. good, sometimes for the better. You know, he's willing, like, if nobody goes to the lead, he would go to the lead on this horse. You know, mm-hmm. he sees that pace and then but, she's shown she's tough to catch that she has that class on her side. If they nobody, all bunch up, nobody yeah. else in here, Emily, too, in of these others are so dominant or have progressed so much that it makes you think she can't compete with them. Absolutely. I, I mean, she's she look at her. She has she's a two time grade one winner. Like, you know, even wet paint just coming out of, you know, grade three listed stakes races, but granted for the higher purse. But you know, and, I don't know if with, those races are super tough. No, and, and even with wet paint, like, no knocks on her accomplishments, but just comparing horses, like, she's a, a little more one-dimensional of, like, a mm-hmm. stone-cold closer. You know what you're going to get with wet paint. She could run into traffic. Like, we said Wonder Wheel. You could honestly map out five different running lines that she'll have in this race for me, and I wouldn't be surprised with any one of them. Right. And and then again, the fact that that race in the Ashland is sitting on top of the past performances is just enough of that price compensation that you need. Right. And and what it does at least to is at least it just gives you some fitness, like sure. it, getting another race off of the like, off of the bench, getting your second start back. Now, it would be in it, it's weird, right, because while we're playing her. The, the race is better from a fitness standpoint, but if there was no race there and we were just playing her off the Sun Coast, she would get bet more, right? Because she doesn't have yeah, that bad possibly. race in there. Right, right, but, right. Yeah. But she wouldn't be as fit. So I might right. not like, like you and I, yeah. and like, and as a gambler, we have to be able to be forgiving. And we know that that's going to just give her a little bit more value, uh, honestly, in a spot like this because of the clunker versus coming in here just fresh or just if the race was, you know, a month after and, and not with, with a bunch of spacing in between. So she she's in the mix for me, for sure. Wonder Wheel. Now let's talk about the horse that beat her defining purpose last time out. This is one who came in from Oaklawn Park. And if you look at the races at Oaklawn, she had back-to-back efforts where she was on a wet track and then a sloppy track, and she ran into wet paint. Prior to that, she was kind of progressing pretty nicely. She came off of a, a race in the Golden Rod. She was well behind Hoosier Philly, who was really good at that time. Then she won uh, a small stakes race, and that's when she kind of was trying to step up. She ran into wet paint a couple times, but she threw in a big win in the Ashland last time out, another one, if you can eliminate a couple races on the form and it may look even better. What do you think about defining purpose? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that was, that was the time to have her in the Ashland and certainly at that price. Now, one of the things that's, that's missed, and this is, this is hard to see, but if you go back and you, you watch the replay of the grade three honeybee, you can see it. She actually stumbles inside the gate as the doors are open. So it's hard to see because, you know, typically we see horses that once they make that kind of first step, then they stumble. It's pretty obvious. She stumbles inside the gate, right? So that's why when you look uh-huh. at that race, you're like, okay, what's going on? And she showed some running spots. Um, so the time, you know, coming off that trip, which probably could have been an excuse. And then the fact that she's 20 to one, that was probably the right time to play her in, the, in that race. Now, as far as the distance, um, as far as the class test, like she's going to have all of that 
surrounding her in here, holding her form because she did run a new top that day with, with that perfect trip. So, uh, uh, she's a little bit tougher. She'd almost be one like if she didn't have that Ashlyn win, like almost the opposite, like the point that you made as far as Wonder Wheel, then it would be like, oh my God, this horse is sitting on. I'd be making the it, excuse that I just did in the honeybee yep. and that, you know, you should be so excited to and, play her. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. When like last time was the time that you were able to get excited. But even as far as the golden rod, I mean, that was still a B minus optics grade effort. She was coming back in that race in nine days off a maiden win. So hard to hold that against her. She's fairly consistent. It's just really going to come down to, is she going to be able to hold her form coming into this race? And is she going to be the right number um, coming off that most recent win? Then uh, next door to, uh, we talked about the fighting purpose and wonder wheel. As we continue through the field, we have the two Brad Cox um, short price fillies that'll probably vie for favoritism. I'd imagine you have botanical and wet paint. They're right next to each other and completely different type of fillies. So we can talk about them individually. First up, botanical. She got the lead last time out. She won the bourbon at Oaks. Um, all of her best work recently has been on, on the synthetic. It's been her recent work. So she's you know, getting better and she's better now than when she was on the turf in her first couple, but she's got speed. She can sit just off a little bit and she's the complete opposite of her stable mate right next door, wet paint, who's more of a stone cold closer. So, you know, Brad Cox should have a, a pretty well, uh, pretty well measured, at least from a, a pace standpoint in here with a horse who will probably be up front or pretty close to it. And will probably have another one coming from way out. And then, you know, the Alice look maybe sitting just off. Yeah, it's interesting with Botanical, right? Because obviously looking at like number wise and what she's done as a blade, that gives her a major look in here, right? It's just, it's tough to knock. But it does come down, it does really come down to her as, as far as, as far as pace, even more than surface. The surface is a little bit unknown, but the surface also correlates to pace, right? Because it's a mm -hmm. horse that does her best running when she's kind of out in front of horses in the clear, even the race, um, the stakes race back on March 4th where those two front runners just kind of cleared from the other. She was still able to get a relatively like free trip behind them, almost a lone like trip. Once you kind of, uh, you know, see that, see how that race played out and, and what kind of trip is she going to get in here? What kind of pace is she going to have to chase? She's probably going to have to go a lot faster on the dirt um, with some of these other horses. If they do try to rate, I, you know, she's probably in trouble. Um, and, and again, she's got horses that, that are pretty quick, you know, horse like flying connections going to keep it honest to her outside it. too. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then we mentioned Mimi Kakushi, who's like, what, you know, she's probably got to be forward. What other choice, you know, she in there wonder wheel could go either way. You know, there's other, there's other horses in here. That's not like she's going to get that comfortable trip up front and um, doesn't really give them a lot of options as, as far as getting creative. Now, going in going into wet paint like as you mentioned yeah i mean she's she is a stone cold closer um and part of that is she doesn't get out of the gate all that well she broke slow in the honeybee and the fantasy which breaking slow in this type of field graded stakes level she's gonna ha come have to come from way off the pace she's gonna have to pass every single horse in this field in order to win most likely right some of them yep. being backing up others getting first run so those are things you've got to consider as as she's going to be a short price is she another one she is on an improving speed figure pattern but is she able to hold her form is she able to transfer that form coming out of um the oakland park meet where again those those stakes races as far as the optics figure range, they're lighter than anything that she's had, you know, that she's had 
coming into this race, right? It's a much higher race par for her. So, so stepping up in class from that race, um, just kind of seems like the type of horse that you, you got to take on, you know, you got to take her on, you got to take her on in this spot. She's going to be facing probably the, and and she could beat them, but she's probably going to be facing like the three or four best horses she's faced ever in this race, all at the same time and all spotting length, like spotting lengths to all of them. Like you said, yeah. so now she's like, she's going to be having to run down better fillies than she's ever faced before. And she's going to be a really short price in doing it. She can absolutely run him down and win, but there are just some a much more intriguing prospects in a race like this. Um, what yeah, paint? It, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, keep going. No, I mean, she, you know, she also, uh, to kind of the class point in as far as form, I mean, Going back to to her debut, you can kind of make an excuse again. She was wide; she wasn't asked for run. But even her race at, at Horseshoe Indianapolis, it wasn't like it was super strong. Kind of presented as a horse that that would want the turf. They went to Turfway Park. She was fine in that race, finishing second, showing a little bit more tactical speed that day. Um, and I think the off tracks did assist her to some extent, and the race flow in a lot in those um, in the Martha Washington and the Honeybee. So I have to be a little bit concerned too. That is that fantasy race, the race that kind of put her over the top. You know, is she? You know, you have to question like so much to be a closer to overcome a step up in class, a new top that she is just so much the best in this field, and that that is just such a question mark at a short price. For this type of runner, like we're use a horse like pretty mischievous as the as a template, right? Who ran that really big race, and you sort yep. of feel like the one regress regressing is coming in, and it always comes down to price. Like when you're talking about this and you're having these conversations with yourself, the horses that you can you're concerned about that with are the horses that are going to be short prices. If a horse is a really big price, then you you don't make those those cases against quite as much because you're not worried about it's it, the values there. At least it's built into it. So wet paint will be a very short price in here. Certainly capable, but the type of horse that we like taking a swing against. Yeah. And there's, you know, uh, sorry, we're going to, no, I, I don't want to use the, like the beat the dead, you know, no, whatever in this spot, but you know, another horse too, where you might hear a lot of people that are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to take her on and use some others, but then they'll use, they'll use her defensively. Right. Where I think it is a spot for people like you and me, like I nope. will spread in other legs, yes. um, you know, knowing that other people might not be as gutsy in this one and just be like, well, maybe, you know, maybe just to be on the safer side, uh, you know, you know, type of thing. So I don't know, depending on, on your style of play, there's, there's ways to kind of give yourself an option for, for a hit. I can find myself two to one shots on any card, any day of the week, Emily, as, as many races as you and I look at at many different tracks at, you know, I'm sure you're, you can find them at Indy at Woodbine at Hawthorne, probably safer two to one shots, nine to five shots than, than they yeah. might be here. Right. And, so, and, and less, less drama, less drama. Yeah. Right. I mean, that Ones was one of the great gonna... things about Zenyatta is you kind of love the drama, right? It was like, Oh my yep. God, is she going to ever get there? You know, but like, do you, do you, can you handle, can you handle For... this much drama? Yeah. You know? I don't know. You're closing all your exotics here, single to this horse, which would be right. if you're playing her, which would be the way you'd want to approach a ticket, right? When you're really, if you really like a short price, it's better to, to just single them and to, spread out and use a bunch of others but we don't feel like she's a standout in here wet paint uh we spoke about promise for america who came out of that gazelle already we have and tell me no lies who we've seen out here in southern california emily and 
I guess the question we ask with her is, how good is FaZa? Because FaZa's five for five, not able to run in this race because she's a Baffert uh, trainee. But And Tell Me No Lies has been defeated by FaZa in her last two. This was a filly last year in Tell Me No Lies who got pretty good. She won three races in a row, and she won back-to-back graded stakes races. They put her in the Breeders' Cup. Didn't really fire, but she's run second twice this year in her in her two starts. Do you think she can stack up with this group? What do you think about and tell me no lies? Yeah, she's kind of, she's kind of like um, a couple of the others, like the gambling girl and affirmative lady. She's going to fall into that same camp where she hasn't really shown as much progression. But at the same time, you know, you mentioned who she's running behind. She's been running in five horse fields. Maybe not her ideal. She's still holding her own in those second place finishes. Has to show a little bit more. But at the same time, she really hasn't run a bad race. There's not a bad race like Mm -hmm. on her form. She was able to win with favorable trips in those two graded stakes races. But keep that in mind. She's double graded stakes winner. She has some class. She has some ability. She has foundation. She's in the third start of reform cycle. She's going to be, I overlooked her the few times that I've handicapped this race over and over. I, I completely just was kind of like, eh, pass. Didn't even give her a look. I, I wrote up this race on the Hawthorne website and I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't dismiss this horse. Well, I she's hard here to- and say she's not, she's yeah. not the best horse in this race, but at the same time, if I'm willing to to take a stand against a chalk, like I'm not letting this horse beat me, and she's probably going to be could be the most dismissed horse on this board off a pair of second place finishes, you know. Um, yeah, I, I know that if if Faisal was in this race, she'd probably be like the third choice. Uh, she, I wasn't ever that high on her, but she would be undefeated. She'd be like an undefeated Baffert runner in this race coming off of a big impressive win that was like her most impressive win so it again i i i'm kind of with you initially she wasn't one that was like oh yeah i'm going to play this horse in the kentucky oaks but in talking this race out and looking at it more it's like yeah maybe this the filly that she ran into the last couple times is pretty good and she's going to be making the third start of her form cycle she's another one who she can come from a little bit out of it if she has to. She's shown a bit of versatility with her. Yes. She sat really close in sprints, but if she's a little farther back and she has to be like five or six lengths behind, I wouldn't be concerned about her making up ground there either. You know, if you're looking at least for horses underneath or if your approach is like how uh, mine and Emily's is, maybe you want to throw her in on some of your spread tickets there and tell me no lies. So, yeah, I mean, you know, following Southern California, it's like Miller hasn't been as hot as he's been in, in seasons past. So you can take that into play. And even if you're, you know, whatever you want to think of FISA, you could just say, you know, horses getting trips in five horse fields behind front running winners. Usually, you know, that's not where you're going to see their best, you know. So maybe we haven't seen the best from her this year. Again, I, I kind of just had to come around to her based on, <laughs> you know, she's not that bad. She fits. Mm-hmm. All of the horses to the outside of her um, sort of make the pace of this race confusing because they're any if you told me any of the horses from Flying Connection, Defining Purpose, Darth Vader, Affirmative Lady and Pretty Mischievous had to get a little bit more aggressive because they were out there or that was just the plan. Hey, we're hooked a little bit wide. Let's at least try to get aggressive and then see if we can sit in so we don't have to get hooked so wide or get shuffled back. I can see any of these horses, you know, these outside five horses doing it. That's what makes 
this a little confusing for me, um, handicapping the race and sort of plotting out the pace. One horse who I'm pretty confident will be right there and close up is Flying Connection, who comes in from a back-to-back Sunland races. And this is a horse who has actually been right on the lead in sub-44 fractions sprinting at Zia back in November. So she can really fly, and she has Florence Rue aboard, who is a very good and mainly a front, like a speed rider, like lets them loose up front, gets them to slow, uh, gets them to to relax on the front end. Um, is this horse one of the quicker that you have? Yeah, I think that she'll be on that she'll be on the lead for sure for all, for all those reasons that you mentioned. I mean, she's quick. She's with the post position. I think they have to go, you know, into that first turn to avoid being wide. And certainly with a horse that's that's probably the fastest in here, fast to the first call. It's like why would you, you know, Drew does change, a lot of gonna, questions, does a lot yeah. of questionable things. But you know, this horse's advantage in this race, especially if you're keeping in mind that your main contender is one that's going to close from off the pace. Um, you know. To, to send on the front end. Now, is she is she good enough? Does she have the stamina? How much pressure is she going to take from the others? How much, you know, is she going to have to use early? Those those are all concerns, and th- those are, you know, hurdles I kind of see a- as negatives. But but clearly, the, the connections thought enough of her um, for connections that aren't Southern California connections to say, we want to debut this one at Del Mar. So they've always liked her. She's, you know, she's shown ability. She's shown that progress as of late. Um, but again, has just kind of some challenges as far as the the overall, but she's certainly going to be um, be a pace factor in this race. We spoke about Defining Purpose, who exits the Ashland. Uh, both Dorth Vader and Affirmative Lady come out of the Gulfstream Park Oaks last time out. Dorth Vader was a 47-1 to winner of the Devon of Dale a couple starts back when she loomed up and just kept going, went right by. Uh, red carpet ready, who I believe was favored that day, who was out on the front end. Then on the golf at the Gulfstream Park Oaks, Dorth Vader had the lead again, sort of at the top of the lane. But it was Affirmative Lady who was kind of tracking inside, um, and then got that nice trip tip to the outside of Dorth Vader. What do you think about those two here? They're both going to be parked way out wide. Yeah, I mentioned Affirmative Lady a little bit ago with some of the others, just one that has the foundation, has some great stakes ability that you kind of leave in the mix, even though she's a little bit softer number-wise. As far as Dorth Vader, I mean, she she's, has faster numbers. I think the Sandpiper at Tampa, which was a six-furlong sprint, is actually the fastest speed figure in this field, which is the reason why people would play her in the Devona Dale and why the price was absolutely r- ridiculous for a horse that was certainly fast enough and proven around one turn and kind of on that every other pattern, but does kind of appear like one that is more of a one turn type, the running style for today's race shape combined with the stamina probably has her a little bit over the top, but I, uh, you know, the connections running in here deserving of a chance to run her. I just don't think this is probably the ideal spot where we're going to see her best. Um, yeah, and again, we mentioned Affirmative Lady, but the one that we didn't kind of miss, kind of jumped over a little bit was Julia Shining in the, coming out of the Ashland mm-hmm. because she is sitting on the also eligible list, but let's not make the same mistake twice. Um, yes. Certainly would would be a, a contender in here. I mean, she's done nothing wrong in any of her races. She's kind of quirky in the morning, but at the same time, she kind of catches my eye in the morning just based on what a good-looking, you know, solid routing type individual she is so she certainly fits and and um 
you know, if there is one defection, I know they really want to run tax, but tax would be another one that, as far as the pace, um, is going to have that that kind of tough trip with that outside post for this race shape and distance. Yeah, if Julia Shining was in the race, she would be on my exotic tickets that we're talking about, especially if you're spreading around trying to beat wet paint taxed. I'd feel the same way, maybe a little bit up against it in here. But in just talking this one out with you, it kind of seems like our approach will be similar in that. Just maybe against wet paint here on the win end at a short price and and trying to to find some other value. If you're someone who's maybe a pick four or pick five player, maybe that's spreading around using a few big prices. Maybe if you're someone who plays more individually, maybe you can kind of wait on the race and see who floats up. There's there's a group of four or five horses that we've all that we've talked about that we would feel okay playing at the right type of price. You know, that may be the way the best way to play these races where you don't like the favorite is just see where the best value on the board is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this this race also kicks off like the Oaks Derby double, which will mm-hmm. give you which gives you a it's lot a of point. information because you'll have the board. You'll be able to look at those horses. You'll have, you know, whatever, 10 other races on the card to start to develop some trends as far as the track, as far as what barns, what riders are kind of hot and cold, who you want to upgrade, you know, things like that. You'll have that that um, amount of information uh, on your side that you can look ahead to those races and then of course play this race you know individually when you have the board if you you know your style of play is a win bet or exotics or whatever um i think as we mentioned we talked to this race there's there's a lot of different options in here and a lot of ways to go um that you don't have to you don't have to naturally default to the favorite though i i wouldn't fault anybody that if they're strong on wet paint and they're gonna ride her i think that's the you know that, that decision is good, too. It's not my decision, but I would understand somebody that likes to play a little bit more on the safe side with those chalks and hammer them. Um, if that's their approach and that's their opinion, then that makes sense, too. Emily, I'm going to uh, split up the two conversations that we have on two different shows because we're going to have the, the Oaks on the Friday show and the Derby chat on the uh, the Saturday show. Let everybody know on a week like this week, you have so much going on. We can find your work all over the place. Give us give us as many plugs as you can for stuff that you have that's either just derby related and then overall, where else can we find your work? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to like remember everything. So I'm um, <laughs> doing a lot of write-ups for the Churchill Downs races over on the Hawthorne website, and that'll be free under the selected page where while you're there, you can see the Hawthorne selections right now. We're racing Thursdays and Sundays. Um, the meet's going very well. Industry low, 12% when play show takeout, giving over half a million back to the players since the meet started. So it's been great. Handles increasing. I think the racing for somebody like me that plays races all over, I don't go, Oh no, Hawthorne boo. You know, I'm like, I think it's some of the better racing. Like we said, I mean, a five to two is five to two anywhere. 10 to one is 10 to one everywhere. Like I'll, I'll play and look at those spots. I think those races are playable over at optics. We're doing, um, our usual kind of weekend package is on these big days, doing a little bit more analysis, putting in optics focus, but it's just extreme value. We never increase the prices, just increase the amount of content. So that's uh, $50 for a week and gives you, you know, Oaks and Derby and everything else we cover in there. Woodbine just started up. So on the Woodbine or follow the hashtag BetWoodbineTB um, for a race each day. And then Oakland Park, this is their closing weekend. So you can find those selection v- expert videos on the Twins. Spires app. I think I got everybody. Anybody I left out, I am so sorry, but I think that's everything. That was like the uh, 
the acceptance speech at the Oscars, right? I think I forgot. <laughs> I might have forgot someone. If I forgot some of you, I'm sorry. I love you all. Thank you for all of your support. Thanks all. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, uh, on the on the way out, um, Emily. Thanks so much. And if you're listening to the Friday show and you want some thoughts on the Derby, just flip over to the Saturday show because Emily and I are now going to go through the uh, the Derby runners. So. Um, Thanks so much for uh, hanging out and listening on the Friday show. Remember, there's so much more on Saturday. So many great races, and we have um, uh, all the stakes races covered for you, and we'll get in-depth with uh, with Emily in the Derby in just a few. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much to Emily for helping us out horse by horse. Now, we do the same thing with Emily for the Derby. So on the Derby preview show, when it comes up to the Derby preview, we have about a 45, I think almost an hour minute, uh, an hour minute, a 45 to an hour uh, or so talk on all of the Derby runners. So again, on this episode alone, we had Ryan Dickey, Dave Handlin, Ren Carruthers, Colin Sheehan, Mary Rampolini, Sarah Albadwi, and Emily Gullickson. We will have another full episode for Saturday, Kentucky Derby Day, where we go over Races 4 through 12, all of the stakes races for Saturday, same exact format, different guests for each one, and each person that we talk to also shares some Kentucky Derby thoughts at the end of their chat, and they get to plug uh, everything that they have going on, so if you want to follow their work and find more from them, you can easily do so. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We'll have a lot more to come this week. Make sure to follow on that's Follow, subscribe, share the podcast around with all your friends, and make sure to uh, check out the social media. It's me, Gino B, on Twitter. Probably the best place to follow along with everything that we have going. Talk to you again real soon. We'll have that Saturday preview show coming up. So everything you need for Saturday, Kentucky Derby Day, on the Churchill Downs undercard, all those races from 4 through 12, we've got taken care of for you.